What's up, people? Hotep Jesus. We are back. Another uncomfortable conversation. Before we get into my very, 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 very special guest today, as you already know, today's podcast is sponsored by the three companies that I'm a co-founder and shout out to Maher and Youssef, my co-founders over at coinbitsapp.com. We handle automatic Bitcoin investing. Spoke to my attorney, Peter Hazi Petros, um, yesterday. Had a great, great talk. We spoke twice this week, him and his partner, Sam, putting some contracts together to um, basically become compliant to the bureaucracy of the SEC and the communists across America so we don't get in trouble for exchanging Bitcoin for the almighty USD. So you guys are not aware, you're not already, if you're not investing in Bitcoin, I don't know what the hell is wrong with you. I mean, we done made so much money over here at Hotep Nation off Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, Hotep's been told you. Uh, currently the price of Bitcoin is at 11.9. Um, everybody's been, you know, uh, or people not in the know have been talking smack, um, you know, talking junk or whatever. Um, and, uh, they don't quite understand it, but, uh, if you dollar cost average, it's the safest way to invest in Bitcoin. And that's exactly what we offer at coinbitsapp.com It's the dollar cost averaging investment model in Bitcoin. Also, Wazo, Wazo AI, Wazo AI, we do, uh, video analytics, anything, uh, that the camera can see, whatever crosses the camera's vision. Shout out to Felicia Killens in the chat. Shout out to Steph Colonel Chad, Brody, Drew. What up, homies? Holding me down. But like I said, Wazo, we do video surveillance. Uh, everything's held local. Nothing's on the cloud. So your privacy is yours. You own your data. Separates us from the competition. Also, we're optimizing the retail space. If the retail space ever opens up <laughs> due to COVID. Um, working with Chad, working with uh, Rita. Putting together a nice sales team. Dev team is seven strong. Shout out to Riley, my partner. Danny, Sam. We have an investor. We have over 110K invested or soon to be invested uh, in our company over the past few weeks. So that's what I've been working on. I've been working on my my uh, tech projects. Shout out to Chad, 999 Super Chat. He says, shout out to the press. Stop being broke so you can help build the nation. Yes, sir. Drew Sample, he said 499 Super Chat. Thank you. He said, shout out to our president, Doe Dudes. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to him. We're going to get to him. And last but not least, Jeffatize. Every grifter's dream app allows you to rip videos and just directly from Twitter straight to your iPhone because for some reason iOS doesn't allow you to do that. But we make that possible over at Jeffatize. All these companies' links are in the description box below. And as many of you already know, I'm a two-time author, soon to be three, four, five, six. My book's in the description box below, Unbreakable Rules of Masculinity, The Guide to Masculinity, The Guide for Men, to help you have better relationships with women. No, it's not a pickup artist book, but it's going to show you how to be more magnetic and draw women towards you. But more important than drawing women towards you is having a healthy relationship with women. Healthy, non-toxic relationship with women, something that is going to preserve your sanity, keep your stress low and her happiness high. And of course, Dominate Twitter, my premier book, my first book, teaches you how to wrestle with Twitter 
grow a strong following. It's all my secrets and how I got in a Joe Rogan experience. And part of that is uh, my mogul summit. I have a class every Saturday. Chad's there. Brody's there. A bunch of other guys are there. And we have a class every Saturday. If you guys want to be a part of that, ryansharp.co slash summit. I hear, I hear sirens going on with my guest today. But let me go ahead and get ready to introduce to y'all. My guest today, we have the president of Hotep Nation. I had a, a, um, a, a great history with this young man. Um, we, we've been building this brand for about five, six years now. He's been a, a, a vital part of that, the catalyst of all of that. And we're going to get into some of those stories. So I'd like to introduce y'all, none other than Mr. A.R. Morton, Doe Dubes. Doe, what's good, homie? What's going on, beloved? We're shaking, man. Finally, <laughs> finally, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we gotta, we have to make sure people wait. You know, th- you know, whatever they have to wait for is usually good. How does Heinz say it? You know, uh, had to catch up. Anything worth having is worth waiting for. There you go. There you Something go. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How, how you been, brother? How you? How you? How you living? I mean, I've been doing wonderfully well, as my mom says, man. I've just been, you know, doing everything that I said I was going to do a few years ago, man. Just, first of all, being a pillar in my household, being, you know, the leader and, and the husband and the father that I always wanted to be and continuing to work in that uh, entrepreneurial investor, doing all of those things. And this entire year, like, I can honestly say I've reached a, a levels that I've never reached before in my life. So, honestly, I have no complaints at all. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to really be here, man. Blessed to be here. Grateful. We want to dive right into it. I want to start with your childhood because, um, you know, <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of white conservatives would say, pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, nigga. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, um, the black liberals would say, oh, you can't pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and, you know, white supremacy, so on and so forth. So. I want to start your childhood and then we're going to work our way up into how you became the successful investor you are today. So what was your childhood like? You know, where you grew up in Philly? No, actually. So it's like I'm I'm kind of nomadic in, okay. in origin. I'm, I was born in on Long Island, New York, um, Nassau County, 516. Um, oh, I so moved, you from New York? I, I lived out. Yeah, yeah. You oh, can't tell. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm offended. Cause you already know, like city people, they don't even recognize Long Island like that. You feel me? So I gotta, yeah. like put the accent on extra like hot dog, New York. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just so they know. But yeah, man, Long Island, and mm. um, I lived out there from birth until about 2002. Um, and then and while I was out there, I pretty much just got like my my bearings in life. I was you know I was only 12 when I moved, and um, I actually got my first income stream during this era when I was in New York. This is uh, in the late 90s and stuff like that. This was coming in the middle of the week. And uh, my mom was one of the uh, first people on my block with uh, dial-up. And with that, I was able to, you know, be on websites I wasn't supposed to be on, like Black Planet and stuff like that, and um, hone my graphic skills. And those skills allowed me to, you know, transfer those skills to, like, my friends and stuff like that who wanted their pages done and guest books done. And then... I was a assistant drummer at my church and anybody who's grown up in a church knows like the dress like you know get you know that was like I'm on stage and um that allowed 
to get paid. I'm making money around nine years old playing. So that was that in private island in uh, 2003, out of nowhere. You know, my mom said we move into Providence and that's where we went. And um, from there, that's when I ain't gonna lie, I was like 13 years old now at this point. And this is when I saw me staring away from public education. Elementary school, I loved it. And most people, they have like a high high school dropout mentality getting into entrepreneurship. I kind of like dropped out of middle school. And I'll, I'll explain. Um, hold on, let me close this window real quick, man. This is super loud. Is it too loud? I don't want to like mess up. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Do your thing. I'm going um, to shout some super chats out. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Noah Roberts. Sure. Much love to you and Doe. I learned a lot from y'all. Appreciate you. Cornelius Edwards, $10 super chat. Thank you, Drew. $20 Canadian dollars. Appreciate you. He said peace and prosperity to the Hotep Nation from Drew, a.k.a. Mayor McCheese on Discord. Join Hotep Nation on Patreon. Oh, yeah. We get it popping in the chat. Shout out to uh, my homie Raider. Raider is the ultimate, the ultimate moderator. I appreciate you, homie. Hold me down like no other. So, yeah. Um, those back. So, yeah. What, so, what was you saying? Yeah. So, we in Providence. And um, so, middle school was when I was like, okay, I don't like school. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it just so happened when we moved to, I was uh, staying at my grandmom's house. And uh, around the corner from my grandmother's house in Providence was this local um, clothing store run by like an ex-drug dealer, my OG named Hev. And um, uh, he, I used to, you know, want to be around him all the time because during this time, this is like, you know, 03. So plasma TVs was brand new. And um, in his store, he had plasma TVs. He had all the hustlers in the city coming shopping with him. So that was just a spot to be. Mm-hmm. And as a youngin, without a father, of course, uh, positive, strong, masculine, you know, role models were something that I always gravitated to as me trying to, I guess, fill that void or that gap from my pops. So I gravitated towards my OG head and I pretty much trolled him for a job. So what happened was I used to wake up in the morning and I used to see him because sometimes I'd be late school. So when he's opening up the store and I'm being late for school, I used to be like... I used to go in there. I'm like, yo, let me work. He'd be like, man, go to school. So I go to school. And then I, I come back after school. And he would have like, this is back when, you know, big white tees, 3X, 4X, 5X was popping. So he used to get the shipments from New York. And when the UPS dude would drop the boxes off in the store, I used to just be in the store already kicking it with him. So I just start folding tees. You know what I'm saying? Just folding tees without him asking me and all of that. He was like, yo, like, get out of here. Like, he was trying to get me out of here. But I'm like, nah, have this is who I want to be. And by ninth grade, this is when I was like full fledged. I'm like, I came to him like, yo, either you gonna let me work here, or I'm just gonna be in the street all day because I'm not going to school. You feel me? I already done changed my phone number to my cell phone, so they're not calling my mother. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't even worried about getting expelled, suspended. I didn't want to be there at 13, 14 years old. So I pretty much forced him to hire me. And, and I just guilt tripped him. Like, yo, either I'm going to be in here all day, I'm going to be in the street. Like, which one would you rather? You know what I'm saying? So now I'm literally 14 years old working a nine to nine. You feel me? So I would leave, wake up in the morning, act like I was going to school, my book bag and everything. And then I would, you know, wait for my moms to pull off, take that, uh the, the you know, school polo, whatever I had off, put my actual fresh gear because, you know, I work at a clothing store and I go to work. By the time I was 15 years old, I had a key to the store. I was oh. a manager. I had literally 25-year-olds, you know, having to ask me what to do. 
You feel wow. me? And from there, that was, you know, I was like, okay, I'm cool with school. Like, I, I'm totally done. And um, so my freshman year of high school, out of the 180 days that I was supposed to be there, I went 30. So I didn't go to first day of school. I, like, first day of high school, I did not care. Like, that, you know how everybody's like, oh, it's freshman year, high school, and all of that? I did not care. I was not, you know, all of my, you know, friends, role models, and stuff like that, they was already 19, 20. Like, my literal peers were older than me. So when it came to that, it wasn't, I wasn't missing anything. Being fresh in the high school was nothing compared to being fresh in front of a bunch of 23 year old women on a lunch break, buying clothes for their boyfriend. You feel me? Like that, that's what I wanted to be around. And from there, I was just under his tutelage, man. And I was, just, you know, making lots of money, of course, you know, when you're 15, making that much money. And then I was, of course I was hustling. Who doesn't at this time? So hustling. So it was like, for me, my mom was like the IRS. So I was able to show her where I was getting my money from. You feel me? Like I'm, I'm working. This is why I work after school. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm bringing in all of this money, she's like, all right, whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? Bills do. You know what I mean? So I used to, you know, help my moms out and stuff like that. And um, that's really what got, like, what, like, that's what bit me when it came to the entrepreneur bug. Now, around this time as well. Hold on, 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 hold on. You, <laughs> you skipping a lot of details that we got to cover. Okay. Number, <laughs> number one. How in mm -hmm. the hell are you skipping all these days of school and child protective services isn't showing up at your mom's house or the school isn't? It seems like the school has neglected this child. <laughs> well, check this out. When I got in trouble the first time, like this is like first semester or whatever, they hit my mom's up. It was like, yeah, Andrew hasn't been there for I don't know how many weeks. So, of course, I had the my mom was like shocked or whatever because she didn't know what the hell. I, you know, what I mean, she's like, how is you not going to school? So, I, um, of course, I went in there. I remedied that situation. I went in there. I told the uh, the principal, hey, uh, my mom changed her number and it was my Nextel shirt. <laughs> so I gave him my Nextel shirt number. So anytime there was any disciplinary calls, I used to see I saved my school's number to my phone. So anytime I knew they was calling, da, 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 I play like I was my father and. Oh, yeah, he's with me. I'm taking him, da 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 da. Or I just wouldn't answer the phone at all. Uh. And then um, I changed my home address to the store that I worked at. So the report cards and all that stuff was going to the place I worked. So that's what that was. I kept my moms in the blinds about my terrible grade up until moving from Providence when I was uh, turning um, uh, 18. So during this time with my space, so you, this is so the, then, uh, so there's page no way. layout. Wait, wait. So there's no way you graduated ninth grade. No, 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 no. So what happened? So this is the this is Bush era. So this is no child left behind. This is, you know, all of that stuff. So they pretty much compromised with my mom. Um, and they kept they kept letting me go to, you know, the next grade. No, yeah, like because I did past tests and stuff just to get to the next spot, they let me go to the 10th. And they let me go to 11th. And it was basically during the, they during the Bush era, they were just trying to get people like me, hustlers that was wearing the clothes, smelling like bud and all that stuff in the, in the hallways out of there. Uh -huh. So the fact that you're choosing not to come, we're not like we're not about to chase your mom down to have you in here. Like, trust and believe. Yeah. So, like, we have real police in our schools. So Officer Wayne, that's his name, Officer Wayne. Officer Wayne saw me in the streets all day long. And he even had like men. You know what I'm saying? What are we going to do with this kid? So 
I got, you know, arrests here and there. Like there was times where I got, uh, you know, banned from like the place where the city buses meet or whatever. So anytime I step foot on there, I would get arrested. I got arrested a lot during 04 to 06. I was getting arrested like every other week. My mom had to come pick me up from the local precinct just because I was a kid trespassing and all of this other stuff. So when you like account for everything that's going on, the fact that she can pull up at four o'clock five o'clock in the afternoon to see me safe inside of a store all of that was worth it you know what i'm saying like the fact that he's no longer doing other that knucklehead stuff and he's with this older guy who who's in the church and because he changed his life over he was you know he's a hustler but he, you know he's no longer hustling, he's hustling. so he's a positive role model so my mom would rather me be with him than you know anywhere in the street but of course i did my very best and i think i succeeded it wasn't until like i was in my mid-20s that i I think my mom even knew i sold drugs you know what mm. i'm saying like I, I i did my real best to keep their you know in the blinds with all of that type of stuff all you know right so, I mean? so but, myspace comes um, along yeah so myspace comes along and what hmm? happened myspace came along and yeah what so so i've already been um i started with this uh software called photo impact my cousin danny he put me on it. This is back when I don't know if you remember Black Planet had those thug dolls, whatever. And he put me on graphic design and with those skills. Now I'm I'm years in now, so I'm doing HTL mapping. So back in the day, the average person would just go to like myspacelayouts.com and then copy and paste that whole HTML code. I literally built that code. Like I would map out their pages, have their pictures instead of Lil Wayne or, you know, Remy Ma, whatever. I would put there up there, put rain effects, all this stuff. And it was, you know, I started charging my peers, you know, $20 a page. Mm -hmm. And because this is the era of CD burners, DVD burners and stuff like that. And when you in the hood and, you know, you're the one guy on the block with the knowledge. You feel me? So everybody to the one dude makes it. And when I went in there, and that, that relationship was cool for real. Like I remember um <clears throat> one of the days in my ninth grade year, I was hustling or whatever. I went and I bought out all of the snacks in school. Like I bought all of the Skittles, all of the, you know, cookies or whatever, went to the vending machine, bought like fifty dollars worth of drinks and all of this stuff. And I just started throwing them <laughs> in the lunchroom. And they shut down snack for the whole year for that. But so this is this is the type of you know entrepreneurship uh stuff that I was doing. And so I got CDs popping, I got uh iron on shirts popping, I got MySpace layouts popping, and I'm I'm making good money, and plus I'm working at the store. And then my mom being my mom so the school comes to her they're like yo we don't like him he don't like us he keeps getting arrested he keeps doing this he's fighting da 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 listen no child left behind he just have to be here until you know he can graduate with his class in 08. my mom said okay and literally two months later we was on nine five going to north carolina <laughs> so i moved to north carolina and because of how crazy my credits were when it came to high school, none of them transferred. Mm. Literally, like, I think six transferred, if that. Simply mm. on by my night. And I'm turning 18 of cars. So in my mind, oh, for sure, I'm not walking inside no building. I'm not about to be an adult, pretty much, and going to high school as a freshman. So um i went of course <laughs> because now i'm in a new land and i don't know nobody and there's no have there there's no there's no nothing and so I, I was going to school got into a couple fights or whatever and then i met my homeboy shot who was like my brother to this day 
And um, I'm his big brother, Courtney, and me and him, we started uh, building businesses together. We started our first business, which uh, was uh, Red Carpet Society. It was a, a lifestyle brand. This is back before lifestyle brands was even like a thing. Uh, it was clothing. It was music. It was, you know, all encompassing. And this is um, during that blog era in rap where you get your Asher Roth, Mac Miller, Wale, Spitter, Wiz, like all of them. So the blog era streetwear crooks and castles 10d nike like all of that was popping so uh, having a dope clothing line and a lifestyle brand was like our bread and butter then he went and bought a whole club and had a lounge and so i was experiencing the wealth building and i, I didn't even know it know it then i didn't even know all of the stuff that i was doing was called entrepreneurship i was just hustling that's how i looked at it and um we built you know great relationships from there and then um while i was in you know north carolina i met my daughter's mother uh after you know a few months of courting her she was pregnant <laughs> and um uh my daughter was on the way and when my daughter was born that's when i was like yeah I i'm definitely so i officially dropped out of high school when my daughter was born i wasn't really going to school you anyway were in, you were in high was, school you know, were you you were in high school when you had your daughter yeah I, my um I was she I was 18 when my daughter's mother was pregnant. She was 19. Wow. Uh, no, I was 19 when she was born. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, teen dad and all of that. Yeah. So in 09, my baby was born, you know, my, my loaf of bread. And um she uh, you know, completely changed my life. I stopped all, you know, even half the only criminal activity I was doing was still smoking bud. You know what I'm saying? Criminal as far as like, so I stopped, yeah, yeah. you know, any, any and all types of illegal activity because that, that as a father now, you know, I, I know I, I didn't want my daughter to, you know, feel anything of the things that I felt growing up. And um, honestly, uh, to, to actually speak on that, since I was a kid, I wanted to be a husband. I never like, no, you know, no bullshit. Like I, I really never... I guess it be because it happened to me. I never really was a fan of the bachelor life. I mean, um, first is just you know back then I was like three hundred and fifty pounds. I was huge. I was super mm. fat. So none of the kids, like none of the girls my age, thought I was attractive. Nobody's about to date a almost four hundred pound seventeen year old. That's just not shaking. You got to be funny. I had to be like super funny and all this other stuff. As opposed to when I'm having a bunch of twenty three year old women, they see me, they think I'm they age and all of that, and my weight is not an issue because overweight men are in their age group so it was like that's just what it was and i already had faith i started growing facial hair when i was like 12. so it was i was dealing with older women my entire life um so with that like i always just wanted to have i always wanted to be that father that i didn't have so i wanted a wife i wanted children since very very young so when i knew that i was never going inside of another school including college I was like, yo, it's time to make a family. I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? My mom's could she can't beat me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like she got it's time for me to move on. So um my daughter was born. We moved out. You know, I moved out of my mom's crib. Me and my daughter's mother, we got a spot together. And then, you know, I got into that mode. I got into responsible adult mode. And when I say that, I mean I was doing bare minimum because I was out of my element because a lot of the stuff that I did, a lot of the resources that I was used to at my mom's crib did not exist at my, you know, as an adult now on my own. So, you know, internet came real late in my crib, even though like this is 2009, 2010, uh, like just the amenities that, you know, that you have at your mom's crib. So 
I ain't gonna front when it came to you know that era. I was very lazy, very you know crash. I did all of the bomb broke stuff. I tell all young kids this story about how you know I was balling out of control from 13 all the way to 18, and I finally get into a position I have to take care of somebody, like take care of a whole human, and now I'm flat. Now I'm I'm you know I actually tweeted that. Today, I was like, you know, how can you feel comfortable in your skin, you know, playing video games again, high all day while your lady was at work? And that's what my life was back in 09, man. Like, I, you know, I I used to get jobs and because my temperament what was what it was. When I, you got a manager talking to you all crazy like that, you know, you lose your job fairly quickly. So I was going through jobs a lot and, you know, I used to, you know, I used to feel bad. I used to really feel bad, man, because I wasn't doing like I know where I come from. Like, yo, what's up with money? You know what I'm saying? Especially when you're telling your girl about all of these stories about how you was getting it and all of that. So it's like, yo, where the money at now? Like, you know what I mean? So that was a real trying time for me. And I always tell people that because I don't want you to ever believe that I was born in any type of privileged position. I was broke twice. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I was broke with my moms and then I got broke on my own. So it's like when when it came to, you know, bossing my life up, that part of my, my story is very important because that's when I was at the lowest of the low. I was drinking wild Irish rose. I was smoking a pack of Newports a day. I was donating plasma. I was doing all of the bum hood shit that you could think of as a, you know, as a dude in the hood. And, you know, when I look back at that, I'm like, wow, that's so crazy. But, you know, those things made me who I am today. Mm, mm, you know mm. what I mean? And uh, what else? So, yeah, that, so, so that's what, you know, my daughter, she's going up. Yeah. So, so when, because if you, 2008 was like when you, I can't say graduated because you didn't graduate, but like you left high school, right? <laughs> it was like 2008. Mm-hmm. So when did you bump into the Hoteps? Me and Unc and all of that. So I got in tune with y'all uh late 2013 um this is uh actually around trayvon this is this was uh Mm. trayvon martin had and just like 09 with my daughter born and all of that this era was a real pivotal moment in my time in my life because this is where i became you know who you guys are you know see today like you start to see the makings of dodubes hotep and you know all of that and I was mad. I was furious. I was fuck whitey. I was white supremacy. I was angry. My like my my, my wife now, which was my girlfriend at the time, used to get because I'm over like not making excuses about my failures, but just talking about some of the same liberal talking points that you used to see on the timeline today. Like, ah, oh, it's because of this that happened, and white supremacy is this, and this is why we can't get ahead. And I had all of these, you know, lists of things that would tear us, you know, like that could or has or will tear us down because of an external group. And it's just at, after a while, for me, I don't like to complain. That's just naturally for me. I like to, you know, find solutions. So when I got mad about Trayvon, I got mad about Mike Brown, right? My mind, like, yo, what am I going to do about this? And this is a real uh, important point because I think a lot of people are still stuck on that first phase. It's nothing wrong with being upset when you see these these videos of black men and women being abused by the state, being abused by other groups, even being abused intra-group. It's nothing wrong with being upset. However, you have to take that, that those emotions and transmute it into something and actually create solutions. So for me, this is where I get in tune with Hotep because you you were raised Hotep. So when Trayvon happened, when Mike Brown happened, you already had 
the the mind and the sensibilities of overstanding and being able to see things for what it really was so your tweets just like i'm pretty sure people see my tweets resonated with me i'm like yo dude with the dreads is it's stopping that shit. and it's like then use and i tap in with the podcast and it's like and you reminded me of my older cousin my older cousin charles 2001 i would say that was woke one moments of course the hours and that stuff so seven years old when i had a cousin he was like you know that's the answer you know what i'm saying you know Wait, he hold on don't do, do, hold on let me do me a favor being susceptible to do you know yo can you hear me mm -hmm. do me a favor turn off your camera mm -hmm. hey. turn off your camera because you're chopping up and i want to i want to make sure the audio comes through good because i didn't get yes. none of what you just said so disable your camera. You should be able to do it from right within the software. Okay, all right. Um, so just hide cam, is that what it is? You said what? Yeah, there you go. Now speak up, let me hear you. Say something. Is that good now or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my bad, you cut off, you said 2001, right. what so happened? <laughs> Yo. Yo. Nope. Hello? You got to call your ISP. He throttled your, your bandwidth. Make sure when you get over here, you call your, you call your ISP and tell them, yo, give me my bandwidth because they like to steal it. I have to call Verizon once every 90 days and tell him to get my bandwidth back. But I can hear you now. Say something. Hello? Can you hear me? He's going he's gonna to go ahead and restart. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me bring you in. That sounds crispy. Hold on. Let me bring you in. That sounds crispy. Oh, there we go. Yeah. 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 All right. That's perfect. Hold on. Let me fix your camera and um, turn the, the uh, what's the name off? The audio on your computer. So yeah, 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 yeah. Now we crispy. Yeah. Turn your phone sideways, though. Yeah, there we go. Hold on, y'all. We we don't we sounding better now. Hold on, let me. I'm gonna turn you this way. Oh yeah. Hold on. I'm just getting the screens right, y'all. Bear with me. Now we crispy. You should you should have came on the phone earlier. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta uh, call your ISP like tomorrow, right? And um, tell them yo, give me my bandwidth back because y'all cut my bandwidth, and I measure it. I'm, every 90 days, I measure it and I can see, you know, you check your speed on the internet. You can just put like internet speed or whatever. And I always tell people just, I say, check your internet speed once every 90 days. Um, Hold on. I'm just, oh, wait, that's the wrong. I'm just getting the screens right, y'all. We're going to, I need you to start back over 
from um you said 2001 you was talking to your homie and y'all was on some some super woke shit so i'm gonna have you hold on hold on wait not yet not yet hold on you, you ain't i ain't get you in there hold on i'm trying to um i'm trying to crop your screen why is it doing that all right hold on Hold on, y'all. You know we black, so we a little ghetto with the with the technology. So y'all gonna have to be patient. Don't worry. But the the sound is crispy now. All right, say something, though. Yo, yo. All right, yeah, that's perfect. So you said two thousand one. You was with your homie, and y'all was doing something woke. What? So yeah, my cousin, my cousin Charles, my older cousin Charles. Uh, he's a you know few years older than me. So of course the towers uh were knocked down in uh, two thousand one when I was eleven years old. So, of course, you know, as an 11-year-old, you're not really, you know, up on any of inside jobs and, you know, the insurance scam that was, you know, already proven that already had happened, how they took out the insurance um, uh, claim and stuff like that on the towers around that time. So he was telling me a lot of this stuff. And what that did as an 11-year-old, it made me susceptible to hearing uh, things that weren't, you know, mainstream or things that weren't, you know, going to be reported on the news. Right. So this is around the same time with Michael Moore. You know, he did uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, oh, yeah. you know, all of that. So I had that in me. I had that in the back of my mind. And not only that, my OG has, he was the first person. Um, and whether it's real or not, I don't debate that. But he had me read the, the Willie Lynch letter. And and just like I said, the 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 susceptibility of hearing un, you know, uncommon or just forbidden history, uh, <laughs> plug, plug. Uh, that's what I, I've been, you know, I've been able to, you know, be susceptible. So during this time, I find Hotep, I find Sarnetta TV, I find Polite, I find all of, you know, uh, Phil Valentine, uh, Shaka Atmos, and, you know, everybody that, that ever had had a microphone on 125th, right? So now I'm going back and I'm like, oh, I'm blowing my own mind for, I, I think, two, three years straight, just blowing my mind like, yo, we did this and Mansa Musa and what we that we built towns we we uh, created this we um, so in my mind so this is how I work. The, the, it, this is this is you talking about you talking about the discovery of revised Black history, right, right, like real true Black. When I started to learn all of these things, you know the Moors, you know the Moorish Americans. When I heard you know I heard about you know uh, even deeper into Malcolm X's work. You feel me? Like all of those things, it, it blew my mind. And from then on, I no longer was angry because I realized a lot of the stuff we have control over. Because in your, when you are dealing th with things as a victim, it's things being done to you. You're not in control. There is no control at whatsoever. And even in the way they tell Black history, Black American history specifically, you don't hear much agency. You don't hear, yo, black woman, black man chose to do X, Y, Z. No, black woman and black man had to do X, Y. And that's not how true black history is. We chose. And I know I'm not about to go to Kanye route with the whole choice in slavery because I don't even think, even though this is uncomfortable conversation, I don't think they even want to know or even want to digest the fact that slavery is not exactly what they told them. And a lot of that, in a nutshell, was, Black American natives were already here, and we're gonna talk about that. Oh yes, through contracts, they were swindled out of their land. Okay, 
one generation, not even one generation after slavery, year, a year after slavery, black Americans owned 16 million acres of American land. That land was owned by black Americans, period. What happens is the European immigrants came here and made deals with the natives and said, hey, we'll work on this land for you and then we'll pay, a, a, um, you know, pay you a stipend or pay rent, you feel me, for tilling your land. But in the fine print, this is back, like, we talk about predatory loans pretty much, you know, fine print stuff. In the fine print of these contracts, after a certain amount of time, those European immigrants were able to have uh, control and ownership over that land. And kind of like, kind of like um, um, squatters' rights. Yes, the squatters' rights, absolutely. Um, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, what's it called? It's the Act of 1840s. Assumption, uh, I, I'm pronouncing it wrong. And if I wasn't on my phone, I would be able to look it up. But it's an, it was a, a law that was passed. Several acts that was passed that basically basically allowed these European squatters to uh, claim native Black American lands as their own. And that's where mm. you get um, a lot of the uh, slavery stories. So I'm not saying that slavery didn't exist. Slavery 100% existed, but it was because they were uh, Black Americans were swindled, not shipped from Africa. They were swindled out of the lands that they already owned. And that's how slavery you know, transitions into uh, sharecropping. And another reason why you are able to pay uh, and buy your freedom, there was money exchange. Uh, one of the historians that I really, really respect, uh, Brother Dane Calloway, he has uh, great content. He, expl he explains it with sources, of course, and he explains it way better than me. And he shows you the documents. He shows you the laws that passed. And I even actually have, uh, we, my wife and I, we went to the bookstore um, when we were celebrating our anniversary. And I bought a whole bunch of history books. Because I don't know if you know, nobody cares about history books. Despite the fact that, like, literally life-changing information is in those books, nobody cares. So I got a whole bunch of these books. And uh, one of the books was every law, every act that was ever passed in American history. And, and, and all of those acts are in there. And it was pretty much taking lands from uh, the natives and giving them to European uh, immigrants. And that's where you get slavery. That's where you get sharecropping. And that's where you get a lot of your great grandmothers, your great uh, uncles and aunts always. Their, their number one asset in their mom was always land. You know what I'm saying? So, land so, 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 so I'm going to hop in here and I'm going to play devil's advocate, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have the phone next to your computer? Yes. Move it away from your computer. All right. Cause you're getting um feedback um so i'm gonna play devil's devil's advocate right people like to say oh um even black people like to say this like no we wasn't natives natives are a, a whole separate race of people black people weren't the natives right and um i got a lot of flack for it um on when i went to joe rogan right and if you go look at my Joe Rogan interview and you look at the comments they was trashing me right everybody was with was with me up until that point so how can you definitively say that the natives was black? So the issue comes in when they're confusing or conflating the, the mongoloid phenotype uh, Native Americans with the, uh, the I guess, the Negroid uh, phenotype uh, Native Americans. And what people don't understand is that most of the, the black American natives uh, were wiped out. You know what I'm saying? Was, we're talking millions upon millions of people. So there is, there is a difference in, in the races when it comes to uh, Native Americans. 
And that's that's the discrepancy. Now, definitively, there is uh, what's the name of the book? I will 100% make sure I get the name of the book, but it does detail because I actually have a screenshot of it on my Forbidden History page, and it tells you that in the southwest region of of America, that's where the uh, Negroid uh, Native Americans, or you know, uh, originate from. That's where you get a lot of the Oklahoma and like you know those Middle American Southwestern you know settlements uh, in America. Uh, that's where those natives are from. Uh, another uh, tribe that was a mix between uh, West African and natives was, of course, the Gichigigala uh, uh, tribe. So th- there is a difference between the Mongoloid phenotype Native American and the Negro type uh, Native American. And um, I'm still doing, you know, research on it. I will never be, uh, you know, act like I'm an expert on this stuff. I'm learning every day. However there is enough proof out there that that dictates that black Americans by and large are native to this uh, country. Um, so we got, uh, let's see, uh, Chad Lamont. He said, shout out to the brother at Hans that tweeted Hotep sauce before he got his card pulled. <laughs> you remember that? Um, blessings to Doe for helping my daughter get her gig started. No doubt. Congrats to yeah. your daughter for getting her, her business started. That's wonderful. I hope she's doing great with the Bitcoin on Coinbits app as well. I know she had signed up and got some investing going. Um, John Jay said, uh, ah, the fine print. That makes sense because y'all proudly didn't have a written language. So John Jay is one of our local white supremacist, white nationalist trolls. And, you know, the white man, (laughs) the white man loves to say that those types of trolls is because they'll never, ever be able to escape the fact that our people civilize there. And I will stand on that all day long. Like, we, just, I mean, go back into contemporary history. Look up the great stink. <laughs> just the look who? up the great stink in Europe. Look at how your uh, England and France, Germany, all of these places didn't even have sewage systems. And we're talking about written languages. Are you kidding me? Do you know what hieroglyphs are? Do you understand that the papyruses in, in Egypt, we're talking about, we just finished watching a, a young Pharaoh um, debate with the, with the, with the guy. <laughs> and, and he was talking about how there was over 14 million artifacts under the museum. All written, we were already writing on paper. We were already writing on paper. So when we're talking about a written language, I mean, what are you talking about? Well, What exactly I'll, are you talking about? We're talking about written language. Like we had, we always had written, written languages. I want to I want to you brought up the great stink. So I want to go ahead and just read from the wiki article here. And it says the great stink uh, was an event in central London in July, August, in July and August 1858, during which the hot weather exacerbated the smell of untreated human waste and industrial effluent that was present on the banks of the river Thames. The problem had been mounting for some years with an aging and inadequate sewer system that emptied directly into the Thames. The miasma. Ugh from the effluent was thought to transmit contagious diseases and three outbreaks of cholera before the great stink were blamed on the ongoing problems with the river, so on and so forth. So the the Neanderthal likes to say that we didn't have written language. Meanwhile, he's known for the great stink. They were literally bathing, drinking, and eating their own shit. So so I'm cool, G. Like we're not hotep, but this is hotep in here. We're not about to do. I don't have to defend melanated people here. I'm not doing that here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> like we were like, what are we doing? Like, you know what I mean? 
Absolutely. I, my screen is looking crazy. Am I looking cool to you? Am I am I still good? Uh no. You you got a lot of you got a lot of feedback and the and the video is choppy. Okay. Let me try to fix this because this is out of control. And also get a charger uh for your phone. Uh, because I know the phone's gonna start dying while you're streaming live uh, directly from it. But there is a lot of feedback popping in my ear. Yeah, I hear that, and I'm trying to figure out why. Because my laptop is all the way over there, now. and I only hear it when you're talking. I guess you can hear it when I'm talking. Testing one two one two. Tap said Doe is glitching. Yeah, he's he's definitely glitching out. Um, he says stop moving the phone. You're gonna bust our speakers. <laughs> shout, out to, <laughs> shout out to Sketch Therapy. I don't know how, how close can my computer be right now? It might not well, be a computer. It may be something else, like another electronic device or something. I'm not sure. You got headphones for your um for your device? Well, yeah, I have headphones. I'm not using them, but I have headphones. Try to pop headphones in and see if that changes anything. Try to use head use headphones? Yeah, plug the headphones into your phone, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. John Jay. As as my brother said, Hoteps do not defend our history. We will attack yours. Your history is very ugly. The, the history of the Caucasian uh, from the beginning of your existence on this planet is a very ugly one. There's beautiful parts to it. Don't get me wrong. Um, there are beautiful parts to white history. Um, but if you wanna if you wanna attack the black the black diaspora and say we didn't have written language. Well, that's just uh, wholly untrue. In fact, um, Greece for a while didn't have um, didn't have a written language, uh, and Greece borrowed their written language from the Phoenicians, and uh, the Phoenicians um, worked uh, with ancient Egypt, and uh, the Sumerians also had a written language. So, written language was born way before Europe was born. Um, if we're talking about written language. So. Yeah, it's, it's such an asinine statement. It's so funny. I think because these 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 pros, these white conservative pros, they they really bank on those like stupid memes. Like I think he really based his comment off of that meme where the Europeans are looking at the natives and like you had all of this time and you've only built this. You haven't like you idiot. Like you, <laughs> you, we've had not only entire citadels and entire empires be built with some of the best architecture that you have ever seen and can't even replicate to this day. We're not going to get into how we did that for Europe. I don't understand how people think that this entire uh, this entire world was black, but Europe wasn't. Like, <laughs> so this is what I'm talking about. Your OGs is black. How about that? How about your ancestors look like me? How about that? You owe your existence to me. You're welcome. You're not about to play these games. Okay? So, like I was, what were we talking about? So, yeah, so I was angry about all, you know, uh, Mike Brown. I was angry about Trayvon. And I found you guys. And I found, you know, all of the other, uh, con the, uh, the conscious community is what they call it. And when I found that uh, community, I was, I, honestly, I was astounded. I did, have, I had no reason to be upset. And I was, what I was going back to is when you blame you, when you blame yourself for everything and you take responsibility for everything, you actually, feel whatever you know external power is over you now you you reclaim that like yeah that was my fault i made that happen i i, I messed that up because when you do that and you change it you praise yourself because that was all you too so 
if it's all my fault when it goes wrong, then it means that I got I get all the praise when it goes right because I'm in control of it. So when I saw that, I was actually like happy. I was happy to see the coons. I was happy to see the sellouts. I was happy to see the people that did that was in our community, like the William O'Neill. Because then it's not just oh the government came after us and and that was it. No, there had to have been a liaison. There had to have been a black person there to choose who had to had the agency, which is ironic because they were agents. They had the agency and the, and the choice to sabotage and, you know, circumvent their own community. Now, if in that same instance, William O'Neill, W.E.B. and all of them chose black empowerment and chose to stay 10 toes down for their community, we can actually see different things happen. When you're relentless against tyranny, when you're relentless against the state being relentless against you, the state usually buckles. And we've seen that over and over again with the Black Panther Party. Like once they started seeing that young black men and women was coming with arms and all that, that's when gun laws is saying, <laughs> oh, wait, these niggas not playing. So mm-hmm. when you see these choices be made, when you see the agency, when you see people actively choosing to either be for or be against their own people, then we can't just be, uh, we can't just have an all-encompassing general narrative of black American history that all of this stuff happened to us, we was done wrong, and we just dealing with it the best way we know how. Nah, there was a lot of black people, you know what I'm saying, in the interim that was, you know, helping the oppression or helping the, the issues. Frederick Douglass has one of those stories where he used to see slaves literally brag about their slave man, about how smart he was, about how rich he was, how much more land and more slaves he even had, how, you know, how clever and funny he was. And they would literally fist fight over who had the best master. This is what Killer Mike was telling everybody on that panel. I don't think people caught that analogy, but that's where, you know, that comes from. Those were choices being made. You chose to even with the institutionalization of slavery, even with all of that, you are your own being and you chose that. You chose to fight on the behalf of your slave master. So when you start seeing that, and when you start looking at history as a uh, compilation or, you know what I'm saying, a group of just choices being made over time, then you start to see things a little bit more clear. Now, when it comes to the solutions that I saw, I saw we built towns. I saw that we had our own economies. I saw that we, in certain instances, were recession-proof. I saw that in certain instances, we tested higher as far as scores in a lot of different areas in other communities, not just white. Um, I saw all of this excellence. And then I saw this period in time where even with everything that was going on, it was like a huge slope down. And this is where you, this is the era of the war on poverty and, and, and going into the welfare state. And there's a great documentary by Walter Williams. He's actually from North Philly. He has one. It's called Good Intentions. And it actually breaks down how the welfare state affected black America. You know, the minimum wage literally undercutting black small businesses in the community. Uh, I, I talk about this a lot because it's very, very important. Back then, if you were an uh, unskilled laborer, uh, more than likely a 14, 15-year-old, like how I was with have, right? They would go to a hardware store, a grocery store, uh, your local black business in the area, go to work after school for a few hours, maybe you know four or five hours, do their homework, and then go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. 
they would get paid one dollar an hour because that's what they were literally worth on paper. This is what uh, the amount of work that you can, you know, bring to my, to, you know, to my business. So I pay you one dollar an hour, four dollars a day back in, you know, the 60s, 70s. That actually carried a little bit more, especially for a kid with no bills or responsibility. So with that uh, law coming into place, the minimum wage law, that same business owner or those same business owners had, they were mandated to pay those same 14, 15 year olds $4 an hour. So instead of having one, I mean, excuse me, instead of having four black kids inside of your store working uh, for $1 an hour, you can only have one black kid in your store for $4 an hour. So what that did was created a, a, an environment for a lot of idle time for young people. And when you have idle time, which we say the idle time is the devil, or idle hands is the devil's playground, right? So that's where you get to, you know, even if you did have the underworld in your community, you went to work, you went to school, you were 15, you didn't have any time to get into the underworld. You feel me? Now that you're outside after school, your mom is at work, your dad is, may or may not be there, whatever, you can now spend a little bit more time on the basketball courts with the hustlers and, and now start to, you know, adapt those same type of elements into your behavior which turns into criminal behavior so you have th the minimum wage doing that then you also have the incentive of breaking up the black family so when i say that everything is a choice don't take that as there was nothing that you know the government did or the white men or external groups it's not they're not innocent whatsoever however when you have these issues you got to look at you know who voted it in you know was there were you able to vote against all of this stuff stuff like that is what i mean by as far as choice but once it's passed it's passed you know that that just goes for the you know the american population at that point so these laws put in place literally cut more wealth out of out of black america and it made for more you know destitution it made for more crime more death more everything more of the worst stuff so we have incentivized, like we were literally incentivized to live in poverty. We were literally told that this is the way to live. You need to depend on us for food. You need to, uh, you know, food stamps. You need to depend us, depend on us for shelter, Section Eight. You need to depend on us for work, job poor. You need to depend on us for all of the, uh, for your education, public education system. This is the era where you see why, you know, uh, the projects and the victim mentality and all of the poverty, uh, the poverty mindset takes place. No other community was incentivized to be broke. They were told to you that, yo, it's actually better to not have your husband in the house. It's actually better to work this job that was you know, given to you by being locked up for six months in a job court. It's actually better for you to get your food from snack instead of you, you know, going out and earning your own keep. And so, now you have three, four generations who have been living under this regime. That's really what it is. You're living under this regime. So when it comes down to gentrification, things that something that is supposed to be good, you know, and, and of course, in, in general, it's supposed to be good developing your neighborhood. But because you don't have any sense of ownership and because you've been renting, because you have been you know, pretty much biding your time this entire time, you don't have any frame of reference for owning anything. So when it comes down to cleaning up outside when it comes down to you know being accountable for your neighbor and being accountable for your community you don't own it i don't care i'm a spray paint i'm a piss i'm a throw trash i'm gonna do whatever i want because i don't own it and as a matter of fact my landlord is a slumlord and i hate him so I, even when he's about to evict me i'm about to mess up the walls in here so it's not just like i'm it's i'm keeping the same energy you know what i'm saying i'm keeping the same energy outside my house and inside my house i do not care 
So what happens is this is where, you know, vote for Biden or else and all this is where all of that comes from. Because the relationship between Black America and the government has always been parental. It's always been, you know, a supervisor's role. It's always been, we are right there. We're your overseers. We're going to make sure. And if you've noticed, anytime that a Black person talks to a professional, Black white person, there's a certain aura, there's a certain energy that they have to emit to show that they're worthy of this conversation. And that's the dynamic, the power dynamic that I speak of. There's an inferiority that comes into when you're dealing with caseworkers and, and people, you know, prying into your life. You know, is it a man living in your house? How much money did you make this month? And these are white people. So when you look at a white person in a suit, you automatically like put that authority over them. You automatically put that authority on them, rather, where you just are susceptible to whatever they tell you. I can tell you personally. I did this. This is why I can tell you. And um, I was 19 and we were, you know, applying for welfare and all that other stuff. And I was sitting in the welfare office with my daughter's mom. And I had to sit there and listen to, because this is, of course, we had to do what we had to do and all this other stuff. So we told them that I wasn't in her life and that I was, you know, never going to, not never, but, I, you know, I was barely there. We had to pretty much tell them how broke we were and how terrible of a father that I was for her to get help, as opposed to us being a young couple needing a little bit of assistance to get us on our feet. No, I had to literally remove myself out of the equation, literally sit there as if I didn't exist just so my daughter's mother could get some food. Like, this is what, this is not some, you know, hotel conspiracy. I literally lived it. You feel me? I've seen it in real life. I've seen it in real time. My mother had to deal with that too. I've seen that in the 90s. And, you know, so I, when I see this, I see those women talk to those people in such a not, it was just, it, it was disheartening to see that they had to pretty much shrink themselves. Because when I talk to them privately, they're confident. They, you know, I'm about to go to work. I got this going on. But when it's, when it's come time to talk to these, figures in these offices it was always subservient it always was you know coming off as a subordinate as opposed to the strong women that i've seen the strong men that i've seen so when i see that relationship that's where i feel like a lot of people get confused i feel like they confuse black inferiority with white supremacy i personally feel that way and i mm -hmm. think that once people started to learn what i learned that we come from not just kings and queens but scholars doctors scientists inventors you know uh, uh shaman you know, spiritual leaders, astrologists, astronomers, like we have a lineage of different everything going on. So it does, it's not just kings and queens, but kings and queens in their own right. You feel me? Once you started to learn that, there is no inferiority. It's no, like a troll online, you know, telling me that there's no written language when you know that there is, when you know for a fact that ancient Egypt is literally like the New York of the world, that there's our empire, that empire stretched the entire planet that you find Egypt, uh, Egyptians in Australia, you find Egyptians in America, you find Egyptians in Asia, you find them all over the world because that's the influence that black Americans, ancient African Americans, I mean, excuse me, ancient Africans had over the planet. So there's no way that I could feel inferior about myself, about my people, because I was taught that. Now, if a child was taught that since 10 years old, they don't have that issue. They don't even want to be involved with welfare. They don't want to be involved in, in feeling like they needed a leg up from somebody else. They just going to go based upon what they know, what my ancestors did. You understand? So when everybody, when I talk to people, look up, you know, my own body, 
you know what I'm saying, Isaiah Montgomery, how he built an entire town, put a bunch of black men on a train and told them, like, yo, this is all swamp land. You don't see no town. However, you've been working on them lands for the white men to build up their own empires. So you're going to look at this swamp land, you're going to see all of this, these, this dirt and grass and trees, and you, you may not see the city right now, but this will be a city soon. And sure mm -hmm. enough, in just five years' time, an entire town was built. Mount mm -hmm. Bayou, uh, Mississippi. And that was one of 60 plus towns that happened during, you know, that that era. So once children learn that, once they once they learn that even contemporary history, just just a few hundred years ago, this is what we was doing. This is not some thousands and thousands of years ago stuff that was on a hieroglyph. No, this is stuff that you can quote this photograph. There's actual footage of Black Wall Street. You feel me? So once the kids know this stuff, then I feel like black American pride black american prosperity black american wealth black american triumph overall will be become more mainstream mm, mm. so <clears throat> what it sounds like to me is um the most devastating thing that happened to the black community was socialism right you know you have yeah. um unemployment it seems like it skyrockets after minimum wage right so you know minimum wage is an argument that happens all the time nowadays in a political scene or whatever and black people are like oh my god we need minimum wage we need minimum wage and i don't think they understand the impact that has on small business right they always think when they think about corporations they think about large corporations and it's just like corporation mm -hmm. doesn't the word corporation doesn't mean large millionaire you know the hotep nations of 501c it's technically a corporation, right? <laughs> it's a yeah. corporation, right? And so they don't understand these things, but they, what they don't understand is that the minimum wage doesn't hurt the big guy. The big guy can pay minimum wage. They don't care about minimum wage. The big guy likes minimum wage because it keeps the little guy from coming up and right. competing with him. Because a little that's guy- what, um, um, It's actually, that's what the whole Amazon $15 an hour thing was about. You feel me? Amazon is able to compete because of their, you know, their business model. And they had no problem, have no problem raising the their wage to $15 an hour because they can afford it. They make money, you know, hand over fist, and they have the money to afford that. However, their competitors don't. So when they say, hey, yeah, we're taking the stand and we're going to pay our employees $15 an hour. And also, we should we are lobbying for everybody else to do the same. <laughs> They're just knocking out the competition. You understand? So that's what that is. And nobody sees the play. Everybody just wants big, bad billionaire to give all of his money away. And he has no problem doing that because he knows that he first of all, I'm getting all this money back anyway. Like, there's no week out of the day that you don't think about shopping on my website. So I trust and believe whatever money I give you, you're going to give it right back. That's off rip. And then secondly, when it comes to my competitors, they can never pay y'all $15 an hour. I got robots in here doing most of this shit anyway. So it's like, I don't have to worry about paying nobody $15 an hour. Like to mention how many people are already getting riches off of Amazon itself. People who are making money just selling things on Amazon. Not to mention AWS. Those certs, they start off at six figures. They start your entry level cloud computing, cloud security. They starting you off at a buck 20 a year. You feel me? Just to get this. Once you get the cert, you in it. Me personally, I was not. I tried. I tried to get my cert on. It's not. I'm not that technical. You know what I'm saying? I tried. It was like when I first opened the book, it was a study guide. 
I needed a study guide for the study guide. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to stick to what I know, and that's sales. I can sell. That's what I do. That's why I love affiliating uh, for uh, for uh, businesses that I rock with and stuff like that. I love selling stuff that I make and create, and my wife and my daughters and stuff like that that they create. That's what I do. I've always been, you know, the pitch man. I've always been the front man, and and uh, I'm I'm cool with that. But this is the economy of Amazon. That's what they do. So it has. They have no issues with 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 the minimum wage. But yes, it 100 percent kills uh, small businesses. Yeah, that kills me, man. When you know, I, I'll say you know, people is trolling, right? But I'll be I'll say something like, "We got to get rid of minimum wage." And mm-hmm. I'll get attacked by black people. They're like, oh, you coon, you this, you that. And I'm like, y'all really have no idea how correct. So, so, oh my God. Because Man. it's so backwards. And I and um Sunny, Sunny Johnson, I love her so much. But she gave me this lesson. I think she gave it to you via me. Oh, she gave yeah, yeah. She gave it to me via you, rather. And she was telling you about how the boule back in the day were being wooed by uh soviet russia and other socialist countries in europe so black people who haven't left the country before are finally you know their their parents are well to do they go to college you know this is the this is the boule class this is what you would call the the blavity or the brunch brunch blacks that we see the blue tags you know the blue so i'm gonna actually frame it in 2020 so everybody can understand the historical context so blue check blue check marks are being invited out to socialist countries and being Ruled. Now, you, you remember the video that you put me on to of the ex-KGB. Uh, uh, Yuri, uh, Yuri, Yuri. What's his name? Ben, Benoff? Uh, Yuri Bezmanov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said that, you know, that's what his main job was, to deceive. You know, he would invite the press. He would invite all the, you know, they would invite the press to, you know, his country. They would show him a good time, keep him drunk the entire time, have a great time. And they only showed the reporters and the journalists what they wanted them to see. So when they went out, when the black Americans went out there, they were getting love and hugs. And, oh, my God, we can't, you know, you're so exotic. And, you know, this is how we, this is the means of production. This is how we got our factories. And we feel like, you know, with all of the capitalist white stuff that's going on in your country, this may be the system for you. And, you know, so black American boule, blue checks are coming back to America like, yo, this capitalism shit is a dub. We need to get with this socialism shit. We need to get with the communist shit because it's we own the means of production. We're the worker. We're the lower class. We're this. We're that. And it wasn't like Sonny said. It wasn't so much that it was a Democrat or the Democratic Party. It was so. It was just that Woodrow Wilson and all the way down. You know, your Linda B. Johnsons and things of that nature. They were speaking that socialism shit. They were talking about programs that were supposed to give you all of this money. And this is where they get welfare. So, and and it's so funny because every time that black people, it's like the genie thing, like the, the whole, uh, semantics with the genie, like you'll wish for something, but the genie will give it to you, like literally how you ask for it. So you wanted socialism. We gave you welfare state. You wanted representation matters, and now we give you 12 years of slave and the help and the butler and all that. That's what our you want us to do? This is our version of help. Our version of help is putting you on uh, minimum wage, putting you in uh, government housing, and giving you food stamps and a block of cheese and uh, a box of kick cereal. Our version of um, uh, media representation, even though you guys had 
Sparks and Sparks, who were uh, was a black family-owned law firm, Girlfriends, which was five women who were all professionals, lawyers, you know, doctors and stuff like that. The Cosby's. That all was black-owned, black-created stuff. Now we get we in the era of Oscar so white and and uh, black roles lead, and now you got all these pandering-ass roles and and all of this social commentary is what they call it. We don't even have entertainment anymore. None of our movies are just entertainment. It's all an allegory for some shit. It's always got to be a lesson or some shit. We just can't have a sci-fi movie where we're doing some fly shit. Nah, we got to be able to have a tell a story or uh, fucking get white people into not being racist anymore and shit like that. Or we got to throw jabs at Trump every other scene and shit. Like, we can never just have a fun show. I don't remember any time in my childhood where it was so much proper political propaganda in my shows. A different World Cosby show. Uh, girlfriends, like I said, my mom's in the watch this. Is the show was hilarious. Will is hilarious. Like the entire show, the entire shows that I watched during that era was just nothing but confident black people. There were none of them were subservient. Malcolm and Eddie, they literally owned a bar, a booming bar. You feel me? And now we got reality shows and a bunch of people telling us that representation matters and the Oscars is so white. I don't remember my 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 favorite actors and actresses caring about this type of stuff. You feel me? Like it, it wasn't an issue for me. And then even come on, like Jada Kiss, like when he said on why, like with Halle Berry, you know, having to set having to have sex with Billy Bob Thornton and then why, why with, white man, why white man had, had to had, had to pop with a get an Oscar, yeah. And why Denzel had to be crooked before he oh, took he it. So it. it's like, so that's what y'all want. This is what y'all want. This is how y'all want to be represented by people who don't want to even respect you. You understand what I'm saying? So when we talk about representation matters, yeah, from you, not from them. They they have the worst version of you in their mind. They have, oh, d- despite the fact that my mom was on crack, my dad left. And, and that I'm stupid and I have a third grade education, I still made it and I proved to the white man that I was just as good as him. Yay. Like, fuck out of here, man. No, no. We have a, let's get a more black law firms. Let's get more spy movies. How about that? I, let's get some more black spy movies. Can we get that? Instead of making a black James Bond, let's just make a fucking spy movie. Like, shit like that is what I'm saying. If we want representation, it should be through ownership, not through jobs. You know what I'm saying? Like, so even though I don't jack any of his films, Tyler Perry is doing it the right way. He may not be given the content that I like, but at least he owns it. Mm-hmm. At least it's, it's coming out of the Tyler Perry studios. Mm-hmm. You feel me? And then at that point, again, we can get right back into the agency choosing. You can go to him, go to his studio and make whatever black empowerment film that you want. You don't have to make a Tyler Perry type film. Go to his studio, use his stuff instead of begging Netflix, instead of begging Hulu, instead of begging the Oscars. Go to the black billionaires. Go to the people who have these things now. And this is what I'm saying. I don't know if you noticed, but before Hollywood became Hollywood, black Americans had movie studios, recording labels, uh, uh, record labels, all of this stuff. We had all of it. And then, of course, because in the era of integration and all of that other stuff white men ice being colder now we're being circumvented of course being bought out by all of these redacted um uh owned record labels and stuff like that so our jobs and our roles and in the ownership of our media is being taken away and being sold away everybody knows about the story of jackie robinson where he could have stayed in the negro league he chose to go play for the you know what i'm saying to the dodgers because that was going to be a monumental moment for black american uh, athletes and blah 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 i'm not jacking any of that black owned everything 
from top to bottom, vertical integration from top to bottom. I need the farms and I need the stores all the way down, all the way down there, supply chain. That's what I'm looking for. That's where my representation matters at. Not getting a role in a movie that's so huge and it's going to do billions of dollars or whatever. So now we get the Disney bag and Black Panther, Panda, 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 and all this other stuff. I'm cool with all that. Give me a black superhero, fine. But give me something that's original from my culture. Because when you're giving me sanitized blackness like that, when you got little weird scenes like what are those and all that, we wouldn't put that in a black movie. We would not. And if we did, we would have shoehorned it in a way better way than that. You feel me? It's, it's, it's not natural. When I look at blackness on Netflix, when I look at blackness on this, the silver screen, I don't see myself. I see the sanitized white liberal version of what they think I am. Uh, you feel me? And that's why I can't jack that. So uh, that's why I'm, I go so hard for black ownership, go so hard for black group economics, because we did it before. We Everything that I'm asking black America to do or I'm expecting of black America, we did it already. This is nothing new. We owned everything that we wanted already. We made the street life. Show me somebody. Show me American society without the streetlight. I literally have to uh, buy a new AC. That's why I'm sweating. Show me a country. Show me America without the AC. A black man uh, invented that. The streetlight. The whole the component <clears throat> that um what is it? The component for the shoe. The bottom of your shoe was created by a black man. The soles of your feet. You feel me? Are protected because of a black man. Oh. There is no black America. There is no America without black America. Facts. America will be a third world country if that, if black Americans weren't here first. Showing them the way. That's a fact. We want to talk about uncomfortable conversations. Amer I'm going to say it again. The United, I'm, I don't know if this, you know, I want to make sure I'm clear. The United States of America would be a third world country if it were not for black America. Woo. 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 Somebody tweet that out. Somebody tweet that out. Um, I'm watching this show to shine, right? You know, um, you know me. I was, I was, I was um, why'd you laugh like that? Because you know, this is how we do it. Anytime you call me, this is you, you get me started, and then <laughs> like, come on, son. So, so, so. Uh, I take life a little too serious, so I've forced myself to sit down and watch Netflix shows, right? So mm -hmm. I'm watching The Order, which is like werewolves and vampires and magicians or some shit. And then mm -hmm. I watch I watch um, The Shy, right? So I'm all caught up on The Shy, right? Now, I'm listening to this episode of The Shy, and uh, a black kid gets killed by a cop, right? You know, that story. Mm -hmm. and As they do a lot now in these shows, but good. Right. So the father's on, he's on the uh, screen and he's like, I can't believe they killed my son. Da, 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 da. And he's talking, talking, talking. And then the scene changes, but you hear in the background, Donald Trump. It was like somebody inserted an audio clip, like after the scene, as it's segueing into a different video. Right. But it was like mm. when, when it was his voice, but it was like the Donald Trump didn't even fit with what he was talking about. It was like, I'm tired of these cops killing us, Donald Trump. And I was just like, wait, that's not even a whole sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I do you one better. Um, the latest Purge movie. Okay. Um, they 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 turned that into an entirely social commentary black narrative. So. Oh. 
you already know what the purge was. Yeah. Right. The first movie was phenomenal. We loved it or whatever. The second one, man, but the, the, the one that they, they recently dropped a couple years ago, it was based in Staten Island, Staten Island. And what it was called the first purge. Like this is supposed to be like what the purge that started it all. You know what I'm saying? And the origins of the purge, according to the canon of the movie, was that it was an experiment on black people mm. to exterminate them. Wow. So the, the whole basis of the movie was to pretty much have the purge white poor black people eat, you know, wipe have them wipe each other out. You feel me? So that way they wouldn't have to do it. Right. So I guess it's like an allegory for like the government and, you know, stuff like that. Police brutality, and you know, mass incarceration, you know, all of those things. Um, luckily enough, or funny enough, um, none of the black residents of Staten Island wanted to uh, participate in the purge. Except this one crackhead who was bullying the main character's um, uh, little brother. So the main character is a feminist, curly hair, afro. They, they love that aesthetic for black women. They love like medium tone black women with that curly fro. I don't know what their fetish is with that, but they watch any show with a black woman on Netflix or anything like that. You're, you're going to find a light skinned woman with a curly fro. That's like this is always guaranteed. So she's a feminist and she's against, um, you know, all of the stuff going on. Of course, she's the she's the more masculine one. For some reason, black women are way more masculine than black men in so many movies. She's the older sister, the younger brother. He's literally being punked by a crackhead. Man. He's being bullied by a crackhead. I don't, I've lived in the hood my entire life. I have never been bullied by a crackhead ever. But this young black man is. And it's a, um, and it's like he's like a super fiend, apparently. So he's the only one at this point participating in the purge. She's not. She's against it, and she's like, oh, like they show, they introduce her in the movie as a protest. You feel I me? Mean? It's like she's protesting. She's super, you know, pissed up and stuff like that. Then they got the dark skinned evil doer, of course, in all these movies. He's a drug dealer with a heart of gold. Um, and nobody's participating in the purge. So. Because nobody's participating in the purge, or no black person is participating in the purge, these people literally ferry in the KKK. They ferry in the literal Nazi, like the, the they were literally wearing Gestapo uniforms, fam, from a ferry. They ferried them in onto Staten Island, and then they had them incite the purge. This is now the origin of the purge. That like it was just an experiment on black people and. They turned the entire movie into social commentary. Now, within the movie, of course, she's escaping the, you know, the main character, the main female character. She's escaping certain pitfalls and stuff like that. And one of the scenes, he was walking and this dude in the sewers grabbed her leg and he was grabbing her close and he almost got to her crotch and she kicked him and got him off her. Right. And out of nowhere, she says, get the fuck off me, you pussy grabbing motherfucker. And I was just like, oh my God, son. How, son? You created this one scene just so you can throw a jab at Trump G. Like, this is what they do. And they use us for it. We're the good old Democrats, you feel me? And that's why I'm saying we can't even enjoy our own movies without being reminded that you're supposed to hate Trump. Remember that. You black. He's racist. Like, dog, can we just watch a movie about people being murdered for no reason? Like, come on, son. That's my thing. Why does everything... Yeah. And and that's that's the thing, like, I really want white conservatives to understand. They're like, you know, why black people hate Trump so much? They don't understand the amount of brainwashing our community is under and how much indoctrination we've been under. 
Oh my God, man. It's 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 like so we've you've already you know gone viral off that statement about Joe Biden Joe Biden being Joe Biden, Joe Biden being able to say whatever he wants about black people and nothing happening to him. And yeah. it's true. It's so true, fam. And you know, one of the things that I, I learned, you know, a little while back was when the congressional, you know, the CBC voted in the 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 crime bill, right? And when I read the Baltimore Sun article from it was August of nineteen ninety four. So I was reading it and fam, if I'm if maybe I interpreted it wrong, but they it sounded like they voted for the crime bill. Excuse me. They voted for the crime bill because they wanted to keep a Democrat in office. They wanted to keep Clinton. They in the article they said the DBC saved Clinton's president. Mm. Think about that. Like it was because black people participated in shows, agency. Remember agency. They chose to back the Democrat. And it was the same never Trump attitude that we cannot have a Republican in office. I don't care that we're literally signing up millions of black Americans to go to prison for next to nothing. My father, or you know what I'm saying, my, you know, my sister's father got booked in 94. Did did a dime. You feel me? Did did a long time in prison. I didn't see him until I was 13 years old. Mm. You feel me? Mm. Because of this crime bill, like I'm directly again, it's not just some whole talking out of his neck. This is my life. My pops was booked over nothing, and when I say nothing, I mean of course relative. Of course, it wasn't he was just walking down the street and they just sent him to jail for ten years. But for what he did, he definitely wasn't supposed to get no thirteen years for it. Mm. So when I'm seeing this and you're doing this under the guise of, oh, we got to be Democrats or we got to make sure there's no racist Republicans coming in to the office and then you literally in the article they said they got nothing in return they got nothing in return as a matter of fact it cost them billions of dollars billions of dollars out of crime prevention programs so not only did you sign in a crime a crime bill that made it much harder for the inmates that were in prison to get out of prison because of infractions or whatever that was on a record it made it much easier to get in prison because they took away the crime prevention programs, the programs, again, the same thing with the uh, the minimum wage. They took away something that was actually helping black youth from going that route. They took it away. Not only did they take it away, they took $6 billion from it. So we celebrated because my cousin was actually one of the people that was you know, on uh, the board to negotiate that NYPD reform, and they took the billion dollars away from it. They took a billion, and you see NYPD been acting that act ever since. Imagine taking six billion from a, a, a program that was supposed to keep black youth out of jail in the first place. You feel me? Not only did so that's that's what happened in the year 1994. And this was again choice. Told you voted that in. That was like the epitome of a choice. You voted it in. You see what I'm saying? All because you did not want to have a Republican pay, uh, 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 president. So mm. this is not just Trump. This this never Trump attitude is is not just. Trump. It could have literally been any popular Republican that resonated with not only whites, but blacks as well. Any Republican that would have penetrated that demographic to even make the other side think about rocking with him, they would have attacked the same. They would have the, uh, they would have used the same uh, tactics. Donald mm. Trump, they, is, he's an insert name. If you if as I'm looking at it from the political economic standpoint, it's about domination. It's about making sure you keep. Your um, because I don't even like that slave plantation analogy. It gets on my nerves. But you just want to make sure that your subservients are staying subservient to you. And all you have to do 
you don't have to ever be uh, better. You just have to show that they're worse. Mm. That's it. Mm. That's mm. all you have to do. Right? You have to show the other side is way worse than we are. Because mm. at the end of the day, if you actually got to a real honest conversation with a Democrat who's not going to, you know, bullshit you, he'll be like, yeah, man, we're racist. We're racist as hell. We created the KKK. No bullshit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, we are racist as hell. However, what are you going to do about it? As a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, that's exactly what Woodrow Wilson said to the black boule once they got swindled after voting for him. He said, if the Negro made a mistake in voting for me, then he should do something about it. Mm. And nobody has done anything about it since those days. And that's what we've seen. It's just a political monopoly, uh, uh, a psychological, an ideological monopoly. And it's not even like that. We're in, and I don't know if you know this. Black people are not Democrats. I mean, they're not liberal at all. Literally, eighty-seven percent. I looked it up. It's a cute research uh, article. I'll link it. At, you know, when people when I remember, you feel me? But that literally eighty-seven percent of Black Americans identify as conservative, mm. but they vote Democrat. Think mm. about it. We don't get that. I think you posted that video of the young lady in the street breaking down Black culture is conservative. Look at, you know, all of the the, the videos and not videos, excuse me, the media that it resonated with us. Like, you know, she already broke down the Uncle Phil's and, you know, all of that. Like, we always like Joe Clark. We always like Bill Cosby. We always like uh, they call it respectability politics, but what's wrong with being respectful or being respectable? You feel me? I still like these things that they, they try to champion is degenerate and then the things that they try to shit on is the stuff that you want to be. You don't want to be a doctor married to a lawyer. You don't want to be wealthy. You don't want to have a big ass house in Bel Air. You don't. That's not what you want. You want to be what? Like you want to be the kid from the hood. And then now, look at it. Look at all these kids that come from the burbs that want to act like they're from Chicago, and they actually from the hood and all this other shit. That like that's an aesthetic now. I see little white kids now popping off at the lip on TikTok wearing all types of hoop earrings and all this other stuff. And it's, it's just funny to me because I remember, because I grew up in the Burbs and I grew up in the hood. So I remember when I was in the Burbs and my, my black neighbors, they couldn't listen to the music that I was listening to. They couldn't wear the clothes. They couldn't wear platinum fubu. They couldn't wear fat bomb. They couldn't, you know what I'm saying? They couldn't wear Sean John, you feel me? They had to wear Oshkosh, you feel me? They had, they had to wear French toast. And those brands is I too. But that wasn't the swag. So now it's just like the 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 the, the prude girl or the girl that was, you know, had the, the overbearing parent the whole time that she was a kid and she finally gets to college and she gets to break out and freak out. You feel me while she's on campus? Same thing with these black kids. They never got to be uh blackness, right? So now they gotta relive Martin. They gotta relive all of these 90 sitcoms that I'm totally over. You feel me? <laughs> like I lived yeah. it. I watched it every Friday with my family as a unit because we really black out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not nah, that's a joke. Y'all really black too. I'm just joking. But uh kinda. But when it comes to you know that culture stuff, I don't they need they needed to, you know, it was only until college to where they can wear their, you know, Howard University uh crew necks and they can watch a different world and, and all of that stuff and now all of that stuff. Like, yo, my cousins, they went to, you know, HBCUs. You know what I'm saying? My older cousins, they went to the college in the nineties. I saw pictures of the college parties and all of that, the real black college culture. You feel me? I saw all of that. I lived all of that stuff. I was sneaking on the campus when I was fifteen. My sister, you know, I was sneaking onto them campuses, you know, lean back in the chair and all of that stuff that, you know, slide past security booths. And I'm chilling with a bunch of college girls at 14, 15 and all of that. Shout out to Johnson and Wales, Brown University. You feel me? I was shaking it up out there in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So with all of that, I ne- they, they go to college and now all of a sudden they super pro black because they never got to experience it naturally. My sister was able to wear hoop earrings and uh, up dudes. My aunts and all of them had the swoops and the up. They had all of that. My entire life, they had the, uh, the, the what's that black and gold outfit that the women had, that they always had. I, they had the, uh, the, 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 the shells and all of that. I didn't, they didn't have to hide that. They wore that to work. Like in the black church, forget about it. Ask any person that grew up in New York's black church in the uh, early to late 90s. They're going to tell you it was a fashion show. You feel me? And even in that, black American culture, oh my God, the black church, as much as I, you know, have my issues with it, you can't take that away. That's where you get all your greatest singers from. That like all of this, this is where I come from. I didn't have to, you know, learn about this from a retweet. So yeah, I may have not learned the conscious stuff, but all of the culture, oh my God, the music, the fashion, the movies, all of like all of the movies that they don't even tell you about, like, you know, Tales from the Hood and Woo. I'm pretty sure nobody even watched Woo before. Y'all know who Woo is? Y'all don't know who Woo is. You feel me? But y'all know if y'all watch all Monsters Ball, though. You feel me? Like, that's where I come from. I come from Broke Jamie Foxx. I come from Booty Call. You feel me? That's the movies that I was watching. Shout out to everybody who came up real, real Friday nights with your family going to buy these black films, man. And look at the credits, too. Look at go back and look at the credits of those movies and see how many black names were producers, directors, writers, screenplay written by all black people. Yo, now we got. I was Mm -hmm. I was I was talking to somebody who's popular in black Twitter and I mentioned the name John Singleton. And they said to me over the phone, who's that? After I, after after Fire I, for you. I after I just said I just said I said Joe I can't really consider these people black to me because they don't even know who John Singleton is and as soon as I say that she go who's John Singleton and I started, <laughs> so I started naming the movies and and this person's like yo I I, I didn't ever saw that I never saw this I never saw that I never saw this like they never yo. saw they never saw Jason's lyric. Yo, you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? Because, like, you got to understand. Did y'all see Vampire in Brooklyn? Like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. Like, this is what I'm saying. We had real. (laughs) When it was the preacher, it's hot. It's hot. Oh, shit. (laughs) You feel me? Ass is good. Evil is good. He's ass. <laughs> yo, it's eleven o'clock. I gotta be quiet. <laughs> but yo, that's where I come from. I came from watching that, and I ain't gonna front. Tyler Perry was there too. We had them plays popping in the living room too. We had the plays popping. You know, Diary of Mad Black Woman. I could do bad by myself. Oh yeah, yeah. I was a fan of Tyler Perry in, in the early because he made my mother laugh. You know what I mean? He get to watch the plays and then. I get to, you know, watch Vampire in Brooklyn. You feel me? I get to watch Tales from the Hood. I get to watch Menace in Society. I get to watch Don't Be a Menace. I get, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's another thing. Like, the Wayans, like, outside of our culture, like, yo, son, they should be, like, the Baldwin to us. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I hate hate doing the white-black comparisons, but, you know, I'm just saying, like, they should be held up. And the Wayne's brothers, they the, what they did for the culture, like, and I mean the real culture, not this bullshit that they call the culture, like real black American culture, because parody movies and all of that stuff, nobody could do it like them, man. And like, and live in living color, like Jim Carrey still pays homage to the Wayne's brothers, because without them, there is no Jim Carrey. There's no Jim Carrey. You see what I'm saying? There's no Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. There is no James Carrey without 
Joaquin and Wayne. You feel me? Like that's impactful. You understand? So when we're talking about what we come from, there's no J Lo. There's no J Lo. <laughs> there's no J Lo. Fly girl. Like, come on. What my nigga Jamie Foxx used to say? Hey ho. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I probably don't even get that reference. You know what I'm saying? Mm. My nigga Jamie Foxx was doing stand up. Did y'all watch Delirious? Like, come on, man. Oh man, did y'all watch You So Crazy? Uh, like, uh. I come from Def Comedy Gems. I come from Comic View. Like I come from BT and like I'm I'm real Black American over there. I like party. Just, House party. Come on now, Can't talk play. to him, son. Baby's kid. Bay-Bay's you understand? Kids. We don't die. We multiply. Harlem Nights. You see Harlem Nights. Come on, man. Sugar Ray. Sugar oh. Ray. Come on. So it's like when you talk, like I'm gonna get you sucking. Like when you talk going to my OGs, my uncle. Forget about it. We getting. We going to coffee. You know, Coffee Brown, uh, 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 God damn it, Pam Grier, all her joints. You feel me? All of the uh, Sydney Portier and Bill Cosby. Like, I'm real deal with this shit. You feel me? Like, I, got, I, got I one come for from Mongo Slate. I got one for you. Fresh. Mm. Oh, nigga. Fresh. I stay by. I stay by. <laughs> what? Come on now. I bust the stupid moves. I bust what? the stupid dope moves. <laughs> what? Come on, son. Niggas, yo, listen to me. You about to have me niggering up a storm ahead. Relax. You get me in my bag, son. That's where I come from, son. Yeah. That's where that I was, come from. That man. was that was representation. That is that's representation. And you see, think about this. Okay. So now we 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 y'all got a whole bunch of homework to do if y'all ain't seen these moves. So, but for talking to you, bro, when you look at those movies and you see the stories, we had sci-fi, vampire in Brooklyn. We had the the, the crime dramas, Fresh, NYPD Blue. Was, I mean, uh, no, not NYPD Blue. New York Undercover. New York Undercover. Malik Yoba. Yes. Malik Yoba them. We had the crime dramas. We had relationship and the, the family, you know, family matters and Cosby. We had, we were so versatile. Now, Every black character is the same. You got the beta black man, the extra super strong masculine black woman, and 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 that's it. That's all and, we well, get. And, and, the gay, and the gay relationships. Of course, of course, the gay interracial <laughs> relationships. Even they can't. Sell. Matter of fact, I was watching The Order, right? And this is like a white show, I guess, right? And the mm. um, one of the werewolves is a chick, and she's. She's messing around with one of the white dudes. That's another werewolf, right? And she's like racially ambiguous. I think she's like more like Asian or something like that, or Asian white mix. Mm-hmm. Season two, she's in a relationship with a woman, and the woman is a black woman with an afro. <laughs> I told you. And my, I told you. And my girl, like, she like, yo, wait, how she end up in this relationship? That don't even make no sense. And it's like, how did this black girl get introduced into this relationship? That was, it's like. And the same thing with the shy. In the shy, you will not see one heterosexual relationship that's healthy. Matter of fact, you got the preacher, the preacher, black father. You don't even see his wife. Uh, the one girl who's got an Afro, Afro, um, the little girl that's in, in high school has an Afro. You see her daddy. He's a politician. Never see her, her, her mother. But the protagonist, little boy. His mother is a lesbian, and you see a lot of that relationship. So they, they, that's the. So check this out. Get. I saw. I was at my man crib Sunday. You feel me? And uh, we was just kicking it or whatever. And he just so happened to have the shy on. 
So mm-hmm. I watched about three hours of the show. And okay. this was the season where Shorty was uh, kidnapped. Okay. That's a new season. Did you see that? I don't want to spoil it for you. I see. I'm, all, see I'm all caught up. I'm all caught up. All right. So, so she got kidnapped. Of course, by a black man, which is not I'm an black. issue. Bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? If we didn't, because I got to keep the same energy, because if we're talking about in the 90s, there was black, it would have been a black antagonist, right? So, right. not an issue there. Um, but then I saw the the way that how you described that. I didn't see any, any of the um, positive relationships, uh, you know, as far as that. And um, I did see how they made even the masculine energy from the the lesbian woman wrong. Every time that she tried to, you know, help the girl and get her to, you know, move on, they, they made her feel like, they made her they basically say like, because they're going to not, they're going to replace the man with the woman. That's what they did. You know what I mean? And it's all due respect to the lesbians out there, you feel me? Absolutely. But that's what they did as far as, you know, as far as this show. That's what they did. And they, they just used a, a female to, you know, convey the masculine energy. Right. So all of the masculine energy was wrong. You feel me? Every time that the the, the lesbian, uh, the the you know the more masculine lesbian suggested a, a, a solution, they were all solutions. You feel me? I didn't agree with the whole packing up the room thing. That was that was a little bit too much to me personally. But you know, let's talk to her. Let's you know get her out the room. Let's you know let's not enable her to you know fester in that mental illness only gets worse if you let them fester so let's you know let's engage her let's you know try to get her help let's try to you know do these things and not only did shorty you know this you know the wife disagree she like kicked her out over it and like was like you know what i'm saying i'm like damn and then you know there was a certain elements when when the young uh guy was getting the uh cards read or their future uh being told or whatever like his dick was the issue and all this other disease like I'm just like Jesus Christ, and then yeah, of course the crooked politician, and then the uh, the uh, the mom, the mom of the politician is like a crooked woman, and all this other stuff, and then the wife of the politician cheated on him with a lesbian that the mom said. I'm like, yo, son, what is what is this? What are we doing right now? You feel me? So it's like when we, when we get in, it's just like it, it's enough. It's a mess. I feel like it's a lot of mess. Instead of just having, and I'm not saying you got to recreate the 90s. I'm just saying along those same lines, let's give us a solid plot. Let's give us some real actors. Let's give us some, like, some real, you know, real life situations that can be going on. Rape, kidnapping, and stuff like that going on in the inner cities, 100%. We already talked about that. We were talking about that back when nobody was talking about that. Now, I'm not trying to be presumptuous when I, or pretentious when I say that. I'm saying as far as like, I remember when the Atlanta girl traffic and stuff was going on. We was like sounding the alarm. We were going super hard. And that was like two, three years ago. And they was ignoring us. And they was ignoring us. Missing DC girls. Remember the missing DC girls? We made a big thing about Missing DC girls and missing Atlanta girls. Yeah, we were talking about that since day one. You feel me? Once we got it on our radar. You feel me? When we talking about, like, we've been talking about stuff like open secret and all that. We've been uh, covering, you know, pedophilia and all this other stuff. And, and 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 all the all of its connections. Let's just be honest. So when it comes to all of that, I I do feel like those images because I I'm a real deal. Just like I'm real deal Black American culture, I'm a real deal '90s baby. TV raised me. I will never act like it didn't. I sat in front of that idiot box my entire life, as far as the '90s go, until you know <clears throat> I got older and I was really outside with a purpose and all of that. TV raised me, and the stuff that I saw 
was dope. I saw fresh and all the stuff that we was watching. That's what I saw. I saw black lawyers. I saw black professionals. I saw black idiots. I saw black everything. You feel me? It was all encompassing. Now, what do the kids see? Victim, victim. You know, only a victor if I'm associated with white or I, you know, one up a white person in the scene or, you know, try to tell or clap back a white person or whatever. Like, that's where our pride comes from. We got to make the white people feel it. And that's what that's not that's never been what it was. It was never about proving to white people that we were equal, proving to white people that we needed to be treated, you know, the same or anything. It was about us showing us on screen. We wanted to put ourselves on. It was the Wayne's brothers, the oldest Wayne, you know, looking out for his younger brothers and sisters and making sure that he kept them out of trouble and put them in something positive. It was Master P investing in Snoop and Eddie Griffith and all of the black people that was under no limit and all like that's what this was about. No, like Master P for me is like the epitome of the, the black man. Like he is the black American man. Mm. He did everything. And I'm not just talking about the meme where he played ball and rapped and all of that. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about he literally established a small economy from his own works. No limit records turned into this empire that he has now. Master P would have been a billionaire years ago, if not for all the philanthropy, all of the investing that he, he put in. He literally gave Eddie Griffith a million dollars for his thing. Mm. He gave Snoop Dogg a whole new lease on life. You mm. feel me? He literally, like, Snoop Dogg was in a bad deal. He wasn't making no music like that. Or at least it wasn't getting out like that because, you know, his deal. No Limit came and saved Snoop Dogg. And Snoop Dogg is literally one of the most iconic hip-hop artists in the world. And that would not have happened without Master P. So this is what I'm saying. Like, I come from that era. And when I see that these kids are watching the things that they're watching, it's, it, I, I am not impressed. I am not proud that they are watching that type of content. I feel like it's doing a way bigger detriment. So, yes, it was bad for us to be sitting in front of the TV as kids and stuff like that. But at least the stuff that we saw, it helped us mature. Because let's not forget it. Like, it's not like propaganda just started when we became adults. We were getting propaganda in our cartoons, too. I think we had some of the more, you know, more mature propaganda where it uh, it actually prepared us for real-life situations. Disney was not shy about killing your parents. You know what I'm saying? Disney was not shy about showing you the harsh realities in cartoon 2D form. And from those traumatic scenes we were able to digest it a little bit better so if it were to happen in real life we at least know how to deal with it because at least if we saw Simba lose his father in front of him we saw Bambi you lose you know his father or lose his parents we seen you know uh the rescue rangers and you know we seen all of these different types of real life situations but through cartoon media so what i'm saying is yeah, there was propaganda, but that propaganda, I feel like it matured us in a way that's not happening today. Because yeah. when I see Teen Titans go, it's just sexualizing children. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's nothing but booty play, a bunch of men playing with their butts and all of that other stuff. I, I don't think my son would become mature based upon that content. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would become sexual. I feel like he would want to get into his real sex bag. You mm-hmm. feel me? And and I I don't I don't think that that's healthy. Mm. I personally don't think that that's healthy. And I know people that I mean literally Teen Titans Go is probably still their Cartoon Network's like number one show, and they have a, a cross dress cross dressing cyborg. And I you know Teen Titans cyborg is honestly like the epitome of masculinity. Dude is half man half machine, stoic as hell, big as hell. But in the cartoon version, he's 
cross-dressing, shaking his butt, playing with butts, and in, in feminine. So, yeah, that's they did what that. They did that with the Incredibles. Uh, you know, I, I think I went to the movies with my, my 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 fam, and we went to go see the Incredibles, and they got the big black dude. He's the biggest man in the Incredibles. And he's driving the car and he's scared. He's so scared. The the woman has to now drive. And I'm like, damn, they really <coughs> effeminizing us. Let me get, get in some super chats real fast. We got a bunch from John Jay. John Jay said, I don't know why y'all call me a supremacist, big man. We not family. I'm not attacking anything. Just trying to understand these contracts. Natasha Kayleen, follow out super chat. She said, this channel is the best content. Much love. Thank you, Natasha. John Jay said, no one takes y'all seriously because you guys do not explain why you believe this stuff. Hotep Jesus needs more revisionist book reviews on his channel. Uh, Ken Thoreau, he said, <laughs> uh, the government is good at one thing. It knows how to break your legs and then hand you a crutch. Harry Brown, Hotep and Bill. Deep, deep, mm. deep quote right there, Ken. Um, let's talk uh, Forbidden History. You started this new um, uh, Twitter account called Forbidden mm -hmm. History, and um, it's exploding with growth. Um, you have uh, a subscription. People can subscribe for free and get uh, daily newsletters um, uh, or, or, or updates based upon Forbidden History. What are some things that you have uncovered in creating this that you think falls under the title of forbidden? Right? Like, why is this stuff forbidden? You know, well, uh, well, first of all, uh, uh, we already know that, you know, history is told by the victors, blah, blah, blah. And the reason why I consider it uh, forbidden is just because it's not uh, told in contemporary or even just like mainstream at all. They don't tell them in schools. They, you know, you get, really got to lift under rocks and certain sources to even find this information. And um, because it's, it, this information is happening in the background or happening actually uh, instead of what's being reported in the history book, then then it's a, you can tell that it's actually deliberately being you know, held from, you know, one of the, like I said, the, um, the relationship between European immigrants and the black American native, that was definitely taken from us. And to the point now, you'll have people try to make a mockery of it and, you know, all of this stuff because it's been, it's been held. From, from contemporary history classes. So when you hear that black Americans were native to this country, you, it, it, it sounds like bullshit. Like it literally sounds like this can't be true. It's, it sounds no different than saying Japanese people are, you know, native to North America. That's what it sounds like because everybody's been told since, I don't know, 19 whatever, that we're African Americans and whatnot. And this is not to take away from the fact that more than likely, not even more than likely, 100%, if you keep going back, you will get to Africa. But you can't yeah. get, you know, that whole, you know, thousand, two thousand, three thousand years with that after they came from Africa and, and, and living here. So there's substantial um, evidence to show that there were, uh, again, black people in the America um, all the way up to Canada, all the way down to, you know, the, the bottom of South America, all mm. black natives. And I feel like that's like number one, like the number one thing that was held from uh, black people to black diaspora is that we are the original man. We were here before and we did civilize the European um, population. So with that, like how the Moors conquered uh, Europe or Spain specifically for 800 years, 
Now, with that, um, a lot of people, you know, don't know that the whole reason that we even have this racial caste system that we have now was because black people ruled white people for almost a thousand years. And when you when you get that context, when they finally defeated the Moors in 1492, it just so happens that Pope Alexander the Fourth, I want to want to say, um, either the fourth or the fifth, I believe it's the fourth, though, he passed out the Casta, uh, which means lineage. And since they were subservient to Africans or blacks for so long, they knew that we could ne- we're never gonna let this happen again. We're never gonna have people that look like <coughs> Hotel Jesus run up. So they created a pastor where the lighter you were or the closer to European descent, uh, European descent you were, the higher class you were. And in, in that, you were able to have privileges. This is where your white privileged people get their, uh, you can get your confirmation bias over here. So they was, uh, there was white or European privilege. And um, how, however uh, far you diluted that European blood is how you were treated. So if you were pure Spanish, pure French, whatever, you was at the top. If you were mixed with a, a native, uh, mixed with a little bit of a, a, yeah, if you were mixed with European and native, you were considered mestizo. Uh, and if you were, you know, anything darker than that, then as you can see, the caste system would, you know, go down on to darker skin people. So this is where you get the, the, the contemporary use of racism today. Before then, we, we discriminated against nations. We discriminated against tribes, you know, last names, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't just, you know, appearance. It had to have been, you know, association. Now, of course, association comes certain things that are similar. So you'll see that, okay, this group is enslaving or uh, subjugating this group. And yes, it looks like it's two different races, but we're not doing it on the, um, on the basis of race. We're doing it because I'm the chief of this tribe and I want to take over the land of that chief. So, I, you know, prisoners of war, right? And um, that's another part of American history that, you know, they don't talk about all of the wars between black natives and, and European immigrants. All of those wars that the natives fought, that's, that's how you're able to also circumvent and take land as well. That's the spoils of victory. If I beat your ass and, and land comes with that, you sure enough, I'm going to take your land. I whoop your ass. I need you. You know what I'm saying? That's just how, that, that's how warfare was. Yeah. That's the spoils of warfare. So when you now have this, this past system, they, that, was, that was able, that emboldened Columbus and all of the other conquistadors and all of the other, you know, oppressors pretty much to be backed by, you know, Queen Isabella, uh, King Ferdinand and all these people are getting the, giving them the okay under the guise of this caste system. Now, because they saw the mistreatment, uh, they did outlaw it. I will, you know, in all fairness, I got to, you know, be fair. They did outlaw the mistreatment of natives in the in the America. However, the European is crafty. You know that they're gonna think of a way. So they just created a new system in which, again, we'll pay these people. We'll give them compensation for their land and all this other stuff. But she's all the way in Spain. She's not, she can't, it's not like this. You should FaceTime me like, yo, what you doing? You know what I'm saying? I'm over here killing as many of these natives as I want. I'm over here pillaging, raping as much as I want. And then once word gets back, I just tell them I paid them. Yeah, I paid them. I sure paid them. You know what I'm saying? They died, they died of occupational hazards. It's no trick. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I can't pronounce it, but it's like in comment, uh, it's like economy in Spanish. You feel me? And and that system allowed them to subjugate the natives without 
quote unquote enslaving them, even though the natives didn't have any rights, they were mistreated just like if they were slaves. Like calling it something else doesn't change what it really is, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where that comes from. Um, what else? Uh, let's talk. Let's talk for, about. Let's talk about how black wealth was stripped to stripped from us. Um, okay. Great, 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 great. I got you. So we, and this is great too because um, we're, we're we're getting into that uh, that argument now, the group economics argument, which means group economics is coming. Whenever these debates start coming up on a timeline casually, that means it's in the back of everybody's mind or in front of everybody's mind. So now everybody's becoming more and more geared. Like, yeah, I saw a basketball player have group economics on his jersey the other day. Like, it's, it's becoming more and more mainstream, and I'm 100% taking credit for some of that. For sure. I I definitely know the four words that I brought to the timeline. Wealth building and group economics. Nobody could tell me that they was talking like this before those dudes came to the timeline. Nice. If you were wealth building before you knew me, that's fine. But as far as my timeline is considered, the word B <laughs> saying B, wealth building and group economics. That's all me, B. And that's because that's my OG Claude Anderson put me on. You feel me? He was one of the people that in 04, I mean, uh, 2014, 2015, I found power economics and stuff like that. So once I read that book, I'm like, you niggas ain't got no excuse. Leave me alone. You right. know what I'm saying? I right. watched I watched his lectures. I watched I watched his lectures and I watched the one where he shed a tear. And this was pre-20 whatever. And he was like, yo, if we don't get this shit together by 2000 and X, we're gonna be out of here. Mm. And it's been it's been past that. But anyway, um, what was I? I didn't want to even get off on the tangent. Oh yeah, so black wealth, right? There, um, there's been the discussions about group economics, right? And they're saying, you know, one side is saying that it, it, it does work, and we're not trying hard enough, and the other side is saying that it doesn't work, try social, right? And here I am in the middle saying that it does work, and it also has a bunch of issues that come along with it. First and foremost, let me just say this right here. Whatever, like I said, whatever group economic model that you believe that you have, that you believe is totally new and brand new, your ancestors did it already in this country. That's the reason why you have the idea. It's literally passed down in your DNA. That's why you have the idea. That's one. Mm-hmm. I already told you about how they established the pounds and all that. Mm. So when it comes to this knowledge, don't think that it's like, because that's how I arrogant, that's how arrogant I was in 2015. That now that I know, that's it. I'm gonna save the black, I'm gonna save black America. That's because I just needed to know. And now that I can tell y'all. Y'all just going to automatically just be groupie economics. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I literally thought that, oh, shit, this has to be the reason why everybody is upset because they don't know this shit that I know. Right. It is, but it's not just that, right. right? That's just the arrogance of me that I'm the first person, to, even though this is a best-selling book, I'm the first person <laughs> to bring it up to y'all, right? And that was just mm-hmm. me and my personal peer group or whatever, whatever. However, there were things that happened historically that was substantial to black Americans. One of the ones was the Freedmen, the Freedmen Bank fraud. The Freedmen Bank fraud was back when, you know, this is the, the after slavery and all of this other stuff. Immediately after slavery, we started building wealth. It was incredible. And that's how I like, that's how I know I had to check my own arrogance because slaves, you know what I'm saying? Former slaves, because let's be honest, they were, they were landowners before anyway. So former slaves, they knew Get right back to the land. Get right back. We got to get our land back. 16 million acres right there. 16 million acres. I Google it. 16 million acres. Immediately, 
Europeans started to find ways to take that away from you. Again, um, uh, for John Weber, look up indentures of servitude, since you don't believe me when I talk about fine print. Look up the indentures of servitude. Indentures of servitude. Those were the agreement between the European immigrants and the native landowners. Uh, Preemption Act of 1840. Thank you, memory. Thank you. I just needed to keep talking to my brother. Preemption Act of 1840. Also, another act that... um 1841? Yep. Say it again? Preemption Act of 1841, also known as the Distributive Preemptive Act. Mm-hmm. There appropriate, we go. Appropriate, appropriate the proceeds of the sales of public lands and to grant preemption rights to individuals. Right. So that act turned private owned black American, black native lands into federal lands, public lands, which means we own it now. And now that we own it, we get to parcel it out to as many European immigrants as we want. Here's hundred acres for you, five acres for you, 500 acres for you, thousand acres for you. Go ahead and build your farm over there, Jimbo. Go ahead and do that. And then not only that, we have it in the contract that the former landowner is actually going to work on this motherfucker for you. And all you got to do is give us a little cut. And you know what they call those people? So if you ever looked up a runaway slave um, ad, it says to the uh, a runaway from the subscriber, not the slave owner, not the slaveholder. Run away from the subscriber. If you just look up the definition of subscriber, it tells you that that's somebody who pays a debt or pays a, 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 a lump sum of money or a sum of money every month. You know why? Because the people who own, excuse me, who own the land had a contract with the Europeans, uh, with the European squatters, and those European squatters had to pay their dues back to the government. Mm. So they worked out a deal with the government to where those dues that I'm paying you is actually allowing me to, it's like paying a mortgage so I can get this land from this Negro. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's how that relationship worked. And we lost, literally, we were 16 million. So we're talking about just the beginning of black wealth being taken away. We were, uh, we lost or uh, 16 million acres of land was taken from by law. So that's the first uh, line of offense that Europeans uh, immigrants did to Nate. Boom. Mm-hmm. Now we got the Freedman Bank fraud. So now Freedman, we out of slavery. Freedman uh, Bank fraud. Yeah. So we got the Freedman Bank fraud. We out of slavery now. We moving and shaking. We doing our thing. We got banks going on. Now we got real legitimate banks. You know, starting like I know ones in North Carolina, Texas, and you know all that. We got real black banks going on. The Europeans they thought. Let's create a Freedman's Bank, right, in their neighborhoods where, where it's booming and all of that. And because these are industrious, wealth-building people, they're going to rock with us. It's a financial institution. Once they say a financial institution, it's not like a, 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 you know, a clothing store where it's up to their discretion. Nah, this is a place where we can get loans. We can you know, move. We can make money with it. It's a financial institution. And we're going to get into that uh, about how that is, needs to be a thing for you know, 2020. So they created these fake banks and they pretty much advertised like I used to see in billboards and stuff like that. Come on, you know, deposit your money, new Freedman Bank and stuff like that. But it was white owned. They took all of the money and because of the charter on the banks, whatever money that was deposited into that bank is now the property of the bank. So I don't know where they would just shut down the banks, take the money. Now, let me ask you this, Mr. 
all we need to do is like the Asians and like the, you know what I'm saying? And other group, what would you do? You earn all of your money hard. You 45 years old. You got kids, a wife, all of that. You put all your life savings in the Freedmen's Bank. And then one random Saturday, you walk in and there's no building to walk into. Mm. It doesn't exist anymore. Your money is gone. And not only that, the police don't like you. The judicial system is set up against you. So who are you even going to call? You going to put your money in the bank? You going to invest your money? No. You going to buy clothes. You going to buy shit. So at least if these niggas come take my shit or try to take my, at least I got some, I can show for something. That's where you get that from. So it's not just that, oh, we just ignorant and we just financially illiterate and we ain't got nothing going on. We just too stupid to put our money in banks. No, we tried that. <laughs> when we did that, we got fucked over, uh, uh, you know, substantially. Now, of course, this is not all encompassing, but this was all over the country, though. These banks were popping up and people were confused because there's nothing to hire somebody and a black person put them in front of the joint and make it seem like it's black owned. You feel me? So th- that's an, uh, another piece. And then we get into what else? But how else? Then, okay, Black Wall Street. Now, because I was so solution or um, I highlighted the fact that Black Wall Street rebuilt in five years and thrived for 40 more years, which is absolutely true. However, those five years were tough. Think about if you took a five-year loss, you got to not only recoup your five-year loss, you got to restore what you lost and then continue on. You see what I'm saying? And then you have um, who's who's legislation? Uh, the New Deal. Who's the New Deal? LBJ. You got Lyndon B. Johnson? Yeah. I think it's Lind- it, it was a Democrat for sure. <laughs> it was I'm, a New I'm Deal. Sure, I'm pretty sure New Deal is LBJ. Yeah. So he comes and yeah, the New Deal... Yeah, so he comes in, the, and the New Deal comes, and that that means higher taxes and more no, regulation. No, FDR, FDR. I'm sorry, FDR. That's what that's what I knew it was something. Yeah. So FDR comes with the New Deal, higher taxes for small businesses, more restrictions for small businesses, again wage uh, requirements, all types of requirements. Of course, that is going to hurt the Black American business. And it's so funny that they they got a Green New Deal, and it's, it's certain same uh, similar you know restrictions and stuff like that. You see what I'm saying? So now we got legislation telling black American entrepreneurs, wealth builders that they need to fuck off and, and you know, pay more taxes and stuff like that. If you're a Macy's, if you're a, a Bloomingdale's, if you're a Sears, if you're a Woolworths or whatever, you can take that blow. Just like Amazon can take that blow. But if you're Jim Steakhouse and, you know, Harvey's Hardware Store, that's hard now. You see what I'm saying? Then you do, then you get into the Walmarts. You start getting into the Walmarts and the bigger chains coming into the community, shutting down um, small businesses. So when we're talking about black wealth being taken from the community, it's just as prevalent as all of the group economic stuff that y'all, that we all love. I've been preaching group economics since day one. You see what I'm saying? I love group economics. I stand by it, but we cannot act like we have been like uninhibited the entire time and we just so lazy. If we were from day one, were able to continue the trajectory from the days that we bought 16 or reclaimed 16 million acres, just imagine if our inheritance started with 16 million acres. Mm. That's where it starts. That's where the legacy starts. Mm. It should be nothing but up from there. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it had to have been something in the interim that, that stopped that. 
So I just want everybody to understand, yes, group economics is the way to go. But let's stop acting like you're the first person to come up with this idea. Let's stop mm-hmm. acting like you're, this 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 is uh, this idea is so foreign to Black America that it's just it's it's so excuse me that we are just not able to do it, you know, because it's so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this before, and I'm pretty sure the descendants of those people who were you know fucked over by those banks told their kids, "Don't ever put your money in the bank." Mm, yeah ever me, and if you saw your father get his money stolen from you from him by a bank you wouldn't want to either so right. you have all of these things that make it real hard <laughs> you know you gotta be tough to keep going mm-hmm. to lose so much and they have to keep building back lose so much and have to keep building back that's that's it gets annoying it gets annoying like yo son so i don't necessarily blame people for saying they all they're gonna do is destroy it I don't blame them. However, that's not up to you. You feel me? As far as what the outside world is going to do, it's not up to you. You can only control what you can control. And Mm. I'm not about to allow you to make excuses to live in squalor just because you think that if you don't, they're going to just put you back in squalor. No, because what I believe is that we can learn from the triumphs and the mistakes of our ancestors. And what I believe our problem has been is that we're too nice. And I mean the word nice literally, as in stupid. We have been way too ignorant. We've been way too benevolent and being too forgiven. And that's the issue. If we actually just kept that distrust that everybody thinks they have on the timeline, because they don't really hate white people. And we're going to get into that, too. Because it's it, it's too mainstream to hate white people for me, honestly. Like, it's not, it's not even, like, underground. It's not even edgy to hate white people. Like, you got CNN saying fuck white people. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, like, the mainstream media is allowing you to, like, hate white people. So I don't want you to think you're some type of revolutionary because you're talking against white. Like, it's so, it's so, it's like pro-anti-white. That's how it is. It's like, yo, being anti-white is, has never been more mainstream. So please believe you're not, you're not Fred Hampton, bro. You're not. You've been able to say this shit. If, like, Fred Hampton and them niggas was calling them niggas proletariats and shit like that. Like, that shit was heartfelt. Them niggas could not say that on the news. Like, Trust me, this sanitized revolution shit that you got going on is nothing like the 60s at all. You're, uh. They're allowing you. How about that? They're allowing this revolution. Uh. If they thought you were a threat, you'd be dead. I just want you to know that. Uh. Like, you'd be, like, all of these protests and all that shit like that, like, it's all controlled if you look at it, if, if I'm looking at Because uh. shit you out know. of, like, there's a book my man Doman put me onto. And it's all about these revolutionary white groups, black groups, mixed groups during the 60s and 70s. And these niggas was literally bombing police stations. They mm. were bombing local government buildings. Y'all not doing that. You feel me? Y'all not, that's real revolution. Y'all marching in the street. You're saying, sanctioned by the police. And if anything goes bad, somebody, one of the counter-protesters starts shooting at you, you call in the state. You call in the boys. You don't even have a backup or a cavalry you can call like the Black Panthers did. You feel me? Like, one little tidbit before I get back into my main point. When domestic disputes were to happen in the black community back in the day when the Panthers was popping, and the wife would be like, yo, I'm about to call the police. Like, call him. The husband, you know, he drunk or whatever. He's like, I don't care. Call him. But if she said, I'm about to call the Panthers, that nigga stood up. That uh-huh. nigga got his act. His, <clears throat> he got his act together. Because uh-huh. they, cause he know the police is going to do the police. But the black Panthers, they really going to come fuck me up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they might actually kill me for beating on this black woman. And we yeah. need more of that. We need more of militias and shit. But yeah. so 
I just want people to know that group economics is 100% where it's supposed to be. But, uh, I mean, it's 100% what we're supposed to be doing. But just don't think that this shit is just, you know, so easy. Um, because you got to you gotta unpack and deal with a lot of those questions. Like, you can't act like people are just lazy and don't want to do group economics. Like, there may be some substantial reasons why they are scared to build wealth. I know there's people that's actually scared of being successful. Like, mm. people who... Because, like, when you're successful, yo... People don't tell you how like how much responsibility comes with that. You feel me? Like everybody that I know, my man, Carl, like you know, Carl Options Game. He is responsible for dozens upon dozens of people. They have questions about options trading and stuff like that. And they and yeah, sure they pay him every month, but he has to answer those questions. And not only does he have to answer those questions, he has to answer them with validity and with sound answers because he has a responsibility to his subscribers. People just see the success and all oh, he's screenshotting his plays and, and all of that. But yo, he is being bogged down let every me, day. Let me let me give some some backstory to what you're talking about here for the audience. Um, Options Gang Carl has a program where he basically reveals um, how he's I'm gonna just say placing his bets on the stock market using options trading puts and calls, and he's 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 allowing people to see. Uh, how he's analyzing the stock market is a black man we talking about here. So go ahead, my mm -hmm. bad. And 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 he's allowed me to make dozens of thousands of dollars. I'll say you, I'll tell you that. You feel me? Call that's changed my life. It's like you call like y'all like my rock, Mount Rushmore of changing <laughs> my life. Like you with the mind and and investing. Like you literally are the reason I opened up my first brokerage account, that AMD tweet back in twenty sixteen. Yeah, by yeah. AMD. I didn't know <laughs> what the hell an AMD was, but I, that's my literally my oldest holding that I have. And that's because AMD of you, bro. You feel me? AMD. Yeah. So I opened my brokerage account or whatever because of you. I started options trading because of him. And I started eating better because of Brooke. And you know what I'm saying? So it's like y'all are, you know, all of my peers, like y'all changed my life. That's the thing. I didn't have to go to a quote unquote professional or nothing. I, I got all of this out the mud, out the people who got it out of the mud, out of the mud. You feel me? So yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Let me, I'm let one me, of those people. Yeah, I'm about to, I'm all over the place. So you gotta reel me back in. You said I'm one of the people what? What? You said I'm, I'm one, one of the people, people like I'm real scatterbrain. Like I'll I'll just I'll keep firing by like, if I I would have uh, brought up something else. I would have brought up yeah, diet yeah. right now. Well, well, talking I, about I, I wanna, I wanna, I want you to tell this story, but first, let me add some super chats, and I want to, I want you to help jog my memory, and I'm gonna help jog your memory, and you're gonna tell this story, and I think people would love to hear about it. Um, Susan Thursdays, uh, thirteen ninety nine super chat, thank you very, very much. JJ uh, says media hiding movie emperor about strong uh, black male shield to green, and the events that led him to John Brown and white Republican and started the Civil War. Thank you, JJ. Um, John Jay, none of those things you brought up suggest that natives were black. Give us proof. We're going to ignore John Jay. Uh, Brody McFarlane says, shout out to Doe Hotep. Shout out to Brody. Uh, John Jay said, group economics is a good message. You scare people away with your half-big history lessons. Again, we're going to ignore John Jay the troll. Um, so here's the, here's the story I want you to tell, and you have to help me remember. There's a girl who inherits land and the land um, had oil on it. Oh, you talking about my sis, sister of uh, Sarah Rector, boy, the richest, Sarah the richest girl in the world. Yes, yeah, Sarah Rector. 
who is also, you know, John Jay's talking about he wants proof of native. So I'm gonna let you tell the story. Oh, yes, yes, yes. She's absolutely a native Oklahoma. Uh, she's a native black American girl. Black, look her up. Uh, um, Choc Sarah Choctaw, Choctaw tribe, I want to say. Is there a tribe? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Choctaw, yep. Well, that's the tribe in Oklahoma. Um, he was born, I want to say, in 1900s, uh, late eight, 1800s. She uh, lived on some land that was, of course, her family owned because of you know, them being natives and things of that nature. Um, her mom, I think her mom passed. I may be uh, off about that. However, on the land, um, it was uh, swampy and stuff like that. There was nothing that they could do with it. And um, her pops was trying to sell it. And he put it for some reason. I couldn't sell it. And um, American oil came because they was, you know, surveying the area and stuff like that. And they believe, you know, there may be oil where the rectors live on their land. So they drilled, found oil, struck oil. Not just a little bit of oil. Dude. We're talking hundreds of barrels of oil. You feel me? Uh, so they leased the land to American Oil uh, Company. And they were earning, if I'm not mistaken, about $3 million a year off the land, you know, mm -hmm. adjusted for And she built immense wealth. And not only did she start building wealth, she started owning businesses like real estate. She owned um, a few businesses. She bought a bunch of gold. Uh, she, you know, of course, you know, straightened out her family situation. And because of the rules of the laws back then, she, they wanted to make her white. They wanted to classify her as white because there was no way that some Negro girl was supposed to be this rich. So they literally, like, black, like, white people really wanted to, like, take her. Like, nah, she's one of us. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, nah, she making too much money to be black. We need the race delegation. We need to trade her in for somebody. Like, y'all can get, like, whoever y'all want. We need Sarah Rex. So you had men from Germany all across the world trying to suit uh, Sarah, trying to date her or whatever. But Sarah being a real old, like real G, she, um, and this is since she was 12 years old, by the way. They were trying to marry her since she was a kid because mm. she was rich since she was a kid. Mm. And they were legit, literally proposing marriage to a 12 year old halfway around the world. Mm. But anyway, she uh, ends up marrying her high school sweetheart. High school, you know what I'm saying? A uh, football player. Um, unfortunately, they didn't make it uh, or whatever. And I think she got remarried as well. But she took care of her family, and back then, they was, um, again, the rules about uh, blacks and, and wealth and things of that nature, they needed a white custodian. So this white guy that they uh, was apparently like a family friend or whatever, that he was like the uh, power of attorney, so to speak, and he was like finessing the hell out of the directors. And then the um, the parents wasn't really financially literate and I feel like they was kind of, me personally, this is my personal part of the history story. Um, I feel like they were kind of in on it just because of the way like the history was talking about it. Like when you look at the Chicago Defender, which is a black owned newspaper, they when they spoke about it, they were saying that it, a lot of it was due, not a lot of it, but like half of it was because the parents were like, complicit in the in in the taking advantage of the wealth or whatever. Mm. So it was because of the black owned newspaper that the word got out 
and they actually went down there and helped Sarah. They kicked the white dude out, got him out of the camp, and they bought um they took the money, bought her a new house, fixed it up, and put the family in there. And ever since then, he was good. And then, you know, with the Great Depression and all that other stuff, which is a, another thing that wiped out a lot of black wealth too, um, the Great Depression, he lost a, a lot of it. And um, she was a native. She was 100% native. Um, and she, she did an amazing job. At 18, she had several businesses. Of course, she had all of that land. And uh, she just started to invest more. She used to uh, drive fast cars throughout the city or whatever. Like she, she used to do it up. She threw fancy parties for the black elite during that time. Um, it was an amazing, amazing story. And she's, she's one of hundreds of stories like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my favorite history stories for sure. For yeah, sure. I think I think uh that's another thing that people don't discuss is how detrimental the Great Depression was to Americans, all Americans of all mm. race, you know, especially the uh, um, black Americans because we're subject to the jurisdiction of America. Um, but the Great Depression absolutely robbed a lot of people because you have this, I wouldn't say new invention, but it's sort of like a new invention, this stock market idea, right? And they convince everybody to put their money into it and everybody's making money. So you really don't have like us. We have a whole history of stock market to study to know how to like, mm. you know, take your gains out and all of this. Right. Yeah. We do, right. <laughs> like like technically me and you couldn't lose any money in the stock market because we've already taken gains and so on and so forth. Right. The only thing we would lose right. are gains. Right. So. They didn't have that study back then. There was no Benjamin Graham. There was no Google. There was no YouTube, right? There was no yeah. There was no option gang Carl here, right? Right, so, right. So people were putting their money into these stocks. And then you wake up one day, there's no Robin Hood to check the price of your stock, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't just wake up and like, oh, what are my stocks doing today? And check your phone. <laughs> Word. Right? So you wake up one day and your wealth is gone. Right. And America was literally robbed by Wall Street. Right. And 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 I think that had a lot to do with the loss of her wealth. And yeah, I mean, because you got to think this is right after the roaring 20s, Harlem Renaissance. You feel me? Like this is that whole Harlem, like that entire that 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 uh, that photograph that everybody loves. You feel me? That's where that comes from but then going right back into the uh, forbidden history that started the whole harlem renaissance started because of none other than booker t washington and the national negro business league mm. the national negro business league is personally i guess my favorite organization okay. because it, it kind of reminds me of black wealth twitter where professionals from every profession that you can think of Banking, medicine, uh, manufacturing, retail, clothing, textile, whatever you can think of. They all came together every year. So all just think of like if Oprah, Robert Johnson, um, Robert Smith, Hove, and like all of the Kanye, all of the black billionaires came together and conspired every year and was like, yo, what's going on in Atlanta? What's going on in New York? was going on down there in Miami. And they would be like, yo, the teachers from New York would share curriculum with teachers in Virginia. The doctors in Texas would share, you know, procedures and methods with the doctors, with the black doctors in, in the, so all of the networking that would happen throughout these whole 
things was like, yo, I got some land um, out in, uh, I got some property out in Harlem, New York. And we were doing all of this. We got clubs, we got cotton clubs, we got all of this stuff going on. So Booker T and them would actually invest in these projects. So these business owners came together and was like, we're going to pull our money together. And we're going to be back in the Duke Ellington's and, you know, the Billy Holiday. And like all of these people from that era, you feel me? And that's where you get the funding and the prosperity of the Roaring Twenties and the Harlem Renaissance. It comes from the National Negro Business League, right? So that's where all of this stuff comes from. Like it comes from black industrialness. Mm. It comes from black, you know, ingenuity. And that's the reason why I could never be a victim because my OGs did it. My OGs came together every year and was like, yo, what we doing this shit? How we killing it? You feel me? Mm-hmm. That's what I want. I talk to I talk to young black millionaires every day. Mm-hmm. Either they making high fives, mid six or high seven, eight, nine figures. I'm talking about people that's under 40 making 10 million plus a year. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Coming from the hood. Mm-hmm. We never had that before. Like this is the first time we've been able, as far as like my generation, we can actually come together. And I could talk to a 29 year old millionaire on how he got it. He's like, yeah. So when I started flipping real estate, then I started using the money that I made from real estate to invest, and then I used that money that I was making from the cash flow and started investing in the stocks. And those stocks pay me dividends, and those dividends are allowing me to pay for my monthly expenses. And now I literally live free. Mm. My investments pay for everything. Mm-hmm. You know how vital that information is to somebody that's 19, 18, 17? Where people was like, yo, what would you do if you was 18? Like, this type of information, like, my daughter is two years now into her business. Right. She's not even 18 yet. Mm-hmm. You feel me? So it's like when I when I when I'm looking at this type of stuff, I'm like, yo, this is what I this is what I asked for. I mm-hmm. always just wanted that ecosystem that I may not know anything about real estate, but I can tap in with the real estate section of my Rolodex and be like, yo, son. I got a buyer or I got a seller. You know what I'm saying? And I just make my little joint in the middle. The same thing with options. Like I will never be, you know, going to trades blind, but I don't have the time to do the due diligence that Carl does. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So that's why you know, I, I can tap into my options on Recently, I got into sports betting. Ali, you know, I don't watch no damn sport. I still don't watch sport. But these men sit for hours and study the stats and study the standings and study this and study the way they play. And this is the 10th time in the, the, since the last time that he played with this injury and all they do all of this technical analysis on the sports and they give me pick because I pay for the service. You know what I'm saying? We lit. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I do. I'd rather pay you to do it at this point. Yeah. I tweeted yeah. that today too. I'd rather pay you to do it. I'm at yeah. that point. I'm good at what I do. I'm able to, you know, I'm personable. I'm able to convey messages really well. I'm able to, you know, get people to see the bigger picture or see whatever picture I'm trying to picture. Um, except this John guy. I, I figured he would have looked at the act and showed you, but it's not enough. But I just want, and this super, they pay for them super chats, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, please keep on. Like, <laughs> keep on. Keep on proving me wrong, brother, for sure. But I want um, you I want you to dispel or, or, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, we had Black Wall Street and they tore it down. Right. We had mm-hmm. Black Wall Street. They tore it down. Can you talk about that? That myth? OK, so let's let's get into it because we already. OK, so we dealt with the harsh realities of the external. So let's deal with the harsh realities of the internal. So. Yeah, Black Wall Street was destroyed. All right, not completely, but it was destroyed. Um, 
like I said, what happened in 1920 or 1921, it was fully restored by 1925. Look it up. Um, it wasn't until and they, they thrived for 40 more years after that. So up until 1965, <laughs> up until 1964, 65, they were fine. Now, I ask you, what happened in America in 1964 and 1965? I want to say, well, wasn't that the Civil Rights Act? <laughs> yeah, Collect, the, yeah, yeah, the whole civil rights thing was popping off. Yep. Right. And if right. I'm quoting my OG Claude Anderson correctly, Asians got Asian rights, Hispanics got Hispanic rights, white got white rights, blacks got civil rights. Who the <laughs> hell is civil? Right? So we are in a space where the law tells you the forbidden fruit is white. The law tells you that that milkshake that you can't drink, even though Jim, your brother, makes milkshakes. He's been making milkshakes for his whole life. You finally got access to that forbidden milkshake. You finally got access to the milkshake that they told you you couldn't have. And because it was also associated with a class of people or or the dominant society, like they call it, dominance, shopping at Macy's is way better than shopping at JC. You feel me? (laughs) Like shopping at Bloomingdale's is better than shopping at uh, uh, Stephanie's clothing store that I've been shopping at. That ain't nothing new. That ain't forbidden. That ain't nothing I haven't seen before. So it was exotic. It was finally we able to go to these white establishments. And it's sad. It is sad, yo, because the reason why is because they thought that the white man's ice was colder. Just to be totally honest with you, they thought because it was Okay, they took white pride and stuff that they, you know, the Oscars, Grammys, all of these things that was prestigious, you know, Yale, Harvard, the Ivy Leagues and all of that. They took all of that. And because, you know, Europeans and white people or whatever, they have they can have pride in the things that they create and and have prestige in the things that they create. That prestige was also associated with, again, that authoritative, uh, authoritative, excuse me, authoritative figure that that uh that dominant figure so not only was it prestigious but it was better in their mind because it's more you technically it's more you there's there's better of you you got more money you got all of this happening you got harvard all of this fancy stuff so in comparison despite that i love this food i love these clothes i've been going to this movie theater i've been going to this park i've been doing all of this stuff my whole life this looks a little fancy and not only that even though it's open to the quote unquote public, there is like a, an achievement there if I get in the door, but there's a bigger achievement if I if I get in the door and I'm accepted. Because one thing to get in there and you know, sitting there and they pour a milkshake over your head. That's not enough though. Mm. I want to be hugged by a white person. I want to be embraced. So what do I do? Let me just keep shopping with them. Let me just keep going there. Let me just keep showing how loyal I am. And this is where you get black American brand loyalty. There is no other consumer group in America who has thicker and more tight brand loyalty than black America. That's a mm. fact. Mm. You feel me? There, there, there is nobody that, that, that sticks with a brand and talks with a brand like a black American consumer. Mm. And these big, you know, media agents and, you know, advertising agencies, <clears throat> they understand that. That's why you can't turn on any channel and watch any ad without having some hip hop music playing 
a black actor, you know, buying or using the product, you need black people to sell in this economy because we dictate what's cool. We're the barometer of what's cool. Black guys wearing it, black women are saying it, we're going we gonna to replicate it and sell it. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? That's why you got all these people now who out of nowhere are speaking like slang and all this other shit on TikTok. Like they, they, they're selling it to you because yes, cow was something that my aunts and them said because that's where they from. They from the south. They have that right. accent. But now yeah. it's being sold. You have yes, cow T-shirts being sold by Karen on Etsy. You see what I'm saying? It's not because they rock with the culture. They're not your allies. It's money. In it. yeah. It's it, it's actual social acceptance in it. Because the sassier and the, the more fluent you are in that language, you're going to accept them because, again, that prestige, being able to be accepted and all of that other stuff. So if you accept them, the white people that thinks that they're being corny or whatever, they're going to be like, oh, he's actually even super cool. He's a super cool white dude because he gets accepted, you know what I'm saying, by the people that he's imitating. You feel what I'm saying? Like them dudes who be trying to sound like, like Slim Thug and shit like that. Them white dudes from Houston for all of uh, they be trying to sound like they like black dudes from the south i've been seeing them dudes lately i don't like what do you got why are you talking like that you don't yeah. talk like that you yeah. feel me so that's what it is like it's just cool to be black like it really is dope to be black i hope john knows that like it's so dope being black bro for real <laughs> i love it so when when it comes to all of that that is it's a real social mess Honestly, so you got white people doing their best to get as close to blackness as possible without being black, and then you got white uh, black people doing the same thing on the other end. Because I want to go to Harvard, and while you want to go to Harvard, they want to stack their jeans and 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 cook the foods you make and wear your hairstyles and 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 come with just you know the same sensibilities of style and all of that other stuff. So it's like you got two groups. Who, who want to be accepted by one another is just that one is paying the other and the other one is stealing from the other and just copying it and then selling it back to the person. Uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So that's the issue. That's the reason why I really don't like the whole representation. That is because you're buying tickets instead of selling tickets. I'd mm-hmm. rather you sell your representation instead of buying it from somebody. Sell your representation, sell your, you know, your representation to the outside world. Don't buy it. Don't buy a culture from another culture. That's weird as hell. No other culture buys their culture from another culture. You see what I'm saying? Like, where, like, where else? Why are we going to Disney for Beyonce? Uh. Oh my why are we god! Going to Blackest King. That that film was fire. I love Blackest King. It's whole tap as hell. Why did we have to pay Disney for that? That was on Disney. Hmm. It was literally. It was. It was the lot. I'm not gonna say live action, but it was like the Beyonce metaphor for the Lion King. Like it was a little boy, you know, who was born and then he grew up. And then, you know, it was literally the story of Lion King told through the eyes and the creative genius of Beyonce. And okay. that film was fire. It's a visual album. It's fire. Okay. Why did we have to pay Disney for that? Black Panther, we paid Disney for that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Netflix. We paying Netflix for that. All of the black role leads, Moesha and them being picked up for Netflix. And there is a black-owned um, subscription service for for um, for you know black-owned shows and stuff like that. We're paying other cultures to sell. They, they, we're literally buying our culture from another culture. That is so weird to me. 
I, I live in the hood, son. Like I live in like I live in black area. And mm. I see Asians literally giving black men haircut. Fade. <laughs> it's like son. It's nothing sacred. Like, how is it that we're buying our food? Like, what like yo, there's an Asian-owned soul food restaurant out here, G. Yeah. Asian it's, it's owned wild Asian soul a, food. Yo, son, there's a there's a chain. It's a chain of restaurants called Hip Hop Chicken and Fish, boy. Hip Hop Chicken and Fish. Look it up. I'm telling you, it's owned by Arabs. Black people are the number one customer in these establishments. It's all throughout Maryland. Hip Hop Chicken and what? Hip Hop Chicken and what? And Fish? Hip Hop Chicken and Fish. Oh, yeah, I see it right here. It's on Yelp. They got a bunch of them, too. <laughs> Yo, I'm telling you. It's literally hip hop in the name, hip hop chicken. It's hip-hop, owned by Arabs. Hip hop fish and chicken. Yep. When I was working in Maryland, I seen that shit. I was like, that's crazy. And then speaking of Maryland, in my book, Black American Ain't the Trading Domination, I talk about Eric and Michelle Speaks mm-hmm. and how they um, opened up Apples and Oranges Organic Market yeah. in West Baltimore. In the yeah. city that needed organic, uh, fresh produce the most, yeah. you know, we talk about food deserts and stuff like that. We have those debates all of the time. These black, this black couple, they opened up an organic market in the heart of the hood. Held um, demonstrations and stuff like that to show them how to cook healthier foods. Uh, gave them uh, healthier options. They didn't sell tobacco. They didn't sell fried foods, and they didn't sell um, too many processed unhealthy foods at all. And the response the community gave was boycotting them. They did not shop with them. They mm-hmm. cited several reasons. They said that the food was so expensive. Uh, they were saying that um, they didn't have um, the items that they were used to. But honestly, bro, they just did not serve the unhealthy shit that they was used to. Mm-hmm. Unhealthy uh, artificial flavorings in America is addicting. I think mm-hmm. food is like the number one addiction in America, if you ask me. Sugar, mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. So, we have a bunch of sugar addicts, artificial flavor addicts, who've never tasted a real strawberry or even know what real strawberries taste like. It's very mm. dark, very sweet at the same time. It's not the same uh, uh, strawberry-flavored soda that you're used to uh, drinking since you was a, a kid in diapers. You feel me? I've seen babies drink soda ever since I was a baby. So, like, from day one, their taste buds are zapped. They don't even have a reference for what fresh food tastes like. So imagine a 25-year-old or the 35-year-old who has to buy the groceries. I'm not about to buy this fresh produce for my kids so he can, he can spoil in my fridge. And then I'm going to have to go to the go to shop right anyway and actually get all of the unhealthy shit that they like. Yeah. So they boycotted a black business that was literally trying to save their lives through healthy they, food. They boycotted it? Not openly. Like, they didn't directly oh, say, okay, don't okay. shop here. Right, but right. I right. mean... If the result is if the, the result is the same, then it. I mean, at the end of the day, you can call yeah. it whatever you want. Yeah, they're no yeah. longer in business, and now right. if the last time I checked, they have a GoFundMe to try to open back up. And I put it in my book that you know, you Baltimore owes it to them. Apples and oranges. Look them up. If you're in the Baltimore area, do what you can to get more spots like that back in your neighborhood because that's important. That's very very important. So that's what I mean as far as like selling the culture back we got people black people who are trying to you know sell their people the good stuff and then you got hip-hop chicken that's keeping that's you know been opening up locations ever since non-stop mm. in the same state 
mm. fame city. Mm. Now the other day, you know me and you, me, the other day, me and you was talking, and um, we started talking about the black community. And I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, nigga, I don't go fuck about none of that shit, right? And now what I said before we got a phone, like I don't, I don't deal in the black community. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, like you know, I, I turn forty next month, and um. I'm too old to deal with other people's problems, right? Um, and and I believe the psychosis is too far gone to be aided by anything. So with that being said, I have to ask you why you continue to do the work you do for the black community. I want to know why you feel compelled to help these fucking niggas. Because um, the only, the only, like I said before, the only part of the black community I care about is children. The adults I can give a fuck about, fuck them. It's children mm-hmm. I care about, you know? Y'all want to do ignorant shit as adults and y'all want to be fucking stupid? Fine. But just know that your stupidness is affecting the children. So, you know, I'm 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 very much trying to set myself up where I'm going to start taking people's children from them and raising them because they're not fully <laughs> capable. And then and then I'm going and then and then and then along with that, I'm going to raise the parents too. Like that's 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 where my head is at. So I'm asking you. Why are you still talking to the black community? Well, real talk, fam, is because it reminds me of the position that had had me in. You know, see, he he sat me down and, and told me about all of this stuff, and I know how how powerful I felt when I first learned all of this stuff. And I know how powerful I felt when I was twenty five learning new information, right? And if somebody were to be like, "Yo," Fuck the adults, right? Because I had my kid at 19. So if the sentiment was fuck the parents, then I then my daughter's screwed. Mm, mm, you feel me? Then mm-hmm. if it's fuck me, then my daughter ain't got a chance. Cause I <laughs> ain't no way you're gonna be able to get to her before you get to me. Right. You right? So the, yes, I 100 percent agree when it comes to focusing on the children more than the adult. Because there's people, like you said, there's people. Right now, I couldn't imagine trying to tell somebody who's 40 years old, 45 years old, that pork is killing you. Mm. You're like, so what? Like, you know what I mean? But there are people who genuinely who genuinely don't know and want to know more. And that proved, my Twitter account proved that. I have countless DMs right now that I still have to reply to and stuff like that. It's, it's many of them that tell me, yo, son. It's because of your tweet that I learned about XYZ and I go and open the avenue. They they around my age. Now, of course, I will say just due to the social media that more of them are of the youth. I appreciate all of the um, you know, young guys and the young ladies that, you know, that hit me up and ask me, you know, how they can start wealth building. They're like, I'm only 16, I'm a freshman in high school and stuff like that. I always throw them stop being poor for free. You feel me? Like all of that stuff. That's free game here. Because if you get this game at 14 years old. Oh my God! You should be at a million by the time you're twenty. Fact, mm-hmm, fact. Mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. And there's no doubt about it in my mind. If you at 14 years old read my book and apply everything in every chapter, you will be a millionaire by the time you're twenty. Fact. So with that, I just feel like at the end of the day, there are people who want to learn. Right now, one of the things that did hurt me. Oh, and, and well, I'll say I was disheartened. You remember when I had CUTC when I did who? clean up the city? Oh yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, you know, I opened up, you know, I opened it I up remember in Philly. That. Um, my, uh, my man, Phil Lewis, shout out to Phil Lewis. He, um, he took, um, the, the Detroit chapter. He was doing it big out there. But for me, 
uh, I, you know, I posted flyers up everywhere, all of the youth centers, the churches and stuff like that. I told everybody to come on out. Local politicians said that they was going to come through and nobody came, bro. Nobody showed up. I was literally outside cleaning the whole city blocks, neighbor, you know, neighborhood blocks in Philly by myself. Literally, people on the steps was watching me clean the sidewalk. You feel me? And I was out there every weekend by myself. Told people, yo, come on out. You feel me? I can still go to type in CUTC uh, on, on Twitter. You'll see the page. I was out there, yo. I was doing my thing. And um, I've, I was ne I've never been so discouraged in my life. When I watch adults tell me, yeah, I'm coming. I'm going to be out there with you, bro. I'm proud of what you're doing. All this other stuff. And nobody came. So, yeah, there's plenty of times where I felt like, yeah, I was, I'm wasting my time with these adults. You feel me? I There are. However, I, I love my community, man. I, I, I come from the hot. Like, I really come from the best era of black America. Outside of, you know, historical and stuff like that. 90s was the best. We had the most confidence. We had the most ingenuity. We was creative. We was really unapologetically black. And we didn't ever have to say those words ever. We literally did what we wanted to do. And I remember like just that vibe. And I remember how it felt being in New York in 96, being a six-year-old boy, seeing all of the culture around me. I remember all of that. I remember hearing, but I'm hearing that, that nonsense. It ain't hard to tell as a little boy, like just like, that that's what it, it just makes me feel like it's just nostalgic when i see that so for me man i just love black america too much man my first book was black america inc you feel so me like i was so upset like i just i really like I, I was so upset because i just know my people are better than this man this victim mentality shit like i just know we better i know our ogs is looking at us like side-eyeing like yo what are y'all doing you feel me? Mm -hmm. Like, this is not what we did all of this for. We didn't build all of these businesses and create all these empires for you to give it away mm -hmm. and have these niggas sell it back to you. Mm -hmm. You feel me? So mm -hmm. I just look at it like I owe it to my OGs. I owe it to my ancestors to keep this shit going, yo. Mm -hmm. Harriet Tubman didn't free children, man. She freed grown men and women. Mm -hmm. With grown men and women. Of mm -hmm. course, the children was there, but as far as having to give the instruction, like, there was adults there. And that quote is not real, so I'm not going to quote it. Um... But I'm pretty sure she did have difficulties too. Mm. Having to, you know, based upon what Frederick Douglass said, if we got people in slaves fist fighting over who has the best match, I'm pretty sure just trying to explain to him, yo, freedom is this way. There's going to be a whole bunch of questions. Oh, why? I don't know if that, da, da, da. and if, if, if it was all about that, then she would have just said, fuck all of the slaves. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, no, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, there are some adults that piss me off. There are some adults that, you know, this leave me disheartened when I look at my community. However, because I care about the youth, I have to care about them too. Mm -hmm. You feel me? And I know how black parents are. You ain't gonna tell them about how to raise their kids. So mm -hmm. I might as well try to get in the back of your mind at least. You know, that's why I get into my whole uh, you know, making sure that you're, you know, building wealth and doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do as a man. You know, mm -hmm. I don't really I, I, I hold women accountable, of course, but because I'm so adamant about checking internal and not blaming external groups, I deal with men more. You know what I'm saying? When my wife, she's talking to her friends, she deals with the women. She holds the women accountable. Like, no, you're enabling his bad behavior, and here I am on the man's side. Like, no, you shouldn't even have to be enabled or disabled, nigga. You should be on your own two feet doing what you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. So th that's how we do. We hold our people accountable. We hold our community accountable. 
so for me, man, I just I look at it and I see what we can be. You feel me? I see. I, I guess you you can kind of look at me as the uh, the girlfriend that sees the potential or the boyfriend that sees the potential in the person. They may not be all the way there yet, but I can see it in them. And yeah. of course, we hear all of the cautionary tales about, you know, don't fall in love with the potential. But it's not the potential. It's just about doing what we did already. It's yeah. that new. That's the yeah. whole reason why. It'd be yeah. different if this is all new phenomenon and, and we don't have any frame of reference. We can literally just copy what they did and then just renovate and, and you know, update it for the 21st century. Right. So now that's the reason why. Yeah. Now, now, peep this. We have to segment the black community, right? And talk about the different types of the black community. Now, the only part of the black community I love is the hood, the streets. That's the only part of the black community I love, right? Because, and this is why I stopped talking about black shit online, is because the motherfuckers is in the streets ain't online. I be with the hood homies. They be like, yo, I ain't even got no Facebook account. I don't be online. That shit corny. That's what these niggas is telling me in the streets. That shit corny. I be, I'm out here in these streets. Fuck that internet shit, right? If they got a phone, it's a mm-hmm. trap phone, you know? So, and, I, and, and when I speak to these people, I'm hearing a higher level of consciousness than the black people online has been duped by socialists. Mm-hmm. The people I in the streets. The streets is hotep. So what I say mm-hmm. is, I'm not, I'm not pro black. I'm pro hotep. If you're not of the hotep mindset, I have nothing to do with you. I wash my hands with you. Fuck you. I hope you fucking mm. die. I hope you fucking perish. You're, you've been holding <laughs> us back. <laughs> you've been holding us back for since since the fucking. The, the goddamn black boule and all these niggas, these Martin mm-hmm. Luther King ass niggas. You know what I'm saying? I can't fucking stand these motherfuckers. You know, all these blue check black motherfuckers, I fucking hate them. And and, and they're the, they're the <laughs> Boy, same. I'm glad you said this so I had to say. <laughs> I mean, they, they wholly miseducate us with this whole victim mentality and all this shit. So that's why, like the other day, um, I tweeted out, I said, yo, um, you know, talking about COVID, I said, yo, I said, I'm really disappointed in humanity for feeding into this fear of this virus and this black girl responds she goes yo what the fuck you know i lost a, a family member to this this stuff isn't a hoax and i responded to her i said i lost seven family members this year to covid seven of my greatest elders my aunt lona may my uncle chester i lost my aunt my cousin robin i mean i could keep going i, I lost seven specifically to the covid virus right now, there's something I understand about the COVID virus that they don't understand because we're hoteps. We understand health. We know we understand healing. Right. So this girl says to me, she says, well, if you lost seven of them, how could you say what you said? And I said, because the solution to the virus is what's got us led astray. Wear these masks. That's not sound scientifically. Even the CDC says that wearing a mask doesn't do shit for you. Right. So what these people don't understand is, and like I said, this is a privileged person who holds an iPhone in her hand and is tweeting and and believes the white man. So you're talking about all this systemic oppression, but your information on COVID is coming from the white man. And here you are trying to argue with the black man that's trying to put you up on some shit. This is why I've washed my hands with internet blacks. That's what I should call them. I should call them internet blacks. 
Right? Yeah. <laughs> I call them the brunch bunch. The brunch yeah. bunch. Yeah. And I'm very much like you. Like, I wouldn't be on the internet if it wasn't some sort of business going on. When MySpace was popping, I had a business. When Black Planet was popping, I was like you. I was building websites. It was a business. When I built my Too High for BP, I was putting native ads on there, right? It was always a business. I didn't come online to fucking fraternize with people. I always thought that shit was corny. I was like, y'all online? We ain't getting no money. I used to say to my homeboys, I'm like, yo, we online. We got to figure out how to get some money. And the homies that wasn't getting money, I was like, I'm not fucking with you. I'm going to fuck with the homies that want to get money online. And we taking over my space right these niggas is online having fun i'm not online to have fucking fun i'm online mm -hmm. to fucking build. Oh, bullshit okay um my first my first twitter account um not even because doe dupes is my original kid uh, account you know I've, I've never gotten like kicked off or whatever it's since 2009 but the first name that i had was h wood doe <clears throat> and that was because i had a business hollywood fittings i forgot to tell you that when i was uh getting my you know bearings i used my graphic designs because i was a uh, part of the sneaker forum back in the early 2000s around the same time that i was rocking with head and um one of the guys um he actually had a link to a fitted store called pegasus in harlem mm. and i started designing new errors for them you know what i'm saying and i started selling them you know selling the designs and selling them to them and then through that work i got with this uh company in buffalo and their company was like down the street from the new era because we i was doing new era fitness from the new era headquarters so i was designing fitted and selling them online so when i got on twitter my first name was h wood doe hollywood doe for hollywood fitted hmm. and i was i was posting my designs up and stuff like that y'all could google hollywood fitted right now y'all can see my fitted right now i worked and i had a contract well, I had a, I was contracted by somebody who had a contract with New Era because having a New Era contract, you needed to have your own store and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So I worked with businesses who had contracts with New Era, and I have to this day. There's New Eras, and I wish I had known about royalties and all that other shit. But there's literal New Era designs that's going on that that's being sold right now at Lids and all that other shit that you know that New Era fucks with and shit like that. And, I don't even get nothing for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it is what it is. I, 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 I didn't know. I, I, I love that you exist. When the young bloods, the young black bloods come to me and they're like, yo, Hotep, you know, I need help, this, that, and the third. I just direct them to you because I don't got, mm. I don't got, I don't oh, got. So that's what I was going to say, that was the reason why I was going to say, well, as far as the hood, like, I really do feel like the hood is the last vestige of black uh, liberation. Yes. The hood is the last vestige because they're the, they're the last group of black Americans who still distrust the government and distrust authority. They're the last people that are going to be like, okay, I'm going to listen to what the officers say. I'm going <laughs> to listen to what Senator such and such says. I'm going to, no, like Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, she still had to go out there and tell niggas that you get off the basketball court, like go home. Yeah. And then you still see, like, you can't tell the hood what to do for real. Like, you literally have to bring in the National Guard to get these guys to control themselves. Because we don't believe none of that shit. Like, what? Uh, Dr. Fucci who? Like, they don't, they don't believe none of that. My yeah. uncle told me all I got to do is stand out in the sun, work out, eat a bunch of, uh, you know, vitamin C, vitamin D, making sure that I'm not covering my face up. My OG told me that. I'm going to listen to my OG way before I listen to a Dr. Fauci. He don't look like me. He don't sound like me. He don't come from where I come from. And they automatically still have that distrust. Now, of course, because I know people are going to try to attack you and say that the hood people are on the internet. But there is a distinct difference, a huge difference 
the, the I I'm, I have I still, I still have a nice little pocket of hood Twitter on my timeline just to make sure that you know I'm still just even digitally. Shout one out, foot shout out, out to, foot. shout out, shout out to Cooley, straight from the hood, absolutely. Yeah, my, yo, my brother Cooley, he keep me like he and he's living his like he's a reform. He's not reformed because yeah, I think he what what hope say no matter where you go, you are what you are. But like my homie Cooley, like he got a spot out in the A, nice big home. It's not like he's still living in the hood, but he he'll always be that gangster. You feel me? And I keep, I stay tapped in with him and his followings and like the stuff that he be talking about because that if you just read his tweets, that's where that shit like yo that's like he'll just literally yo that don't make no sense. Yeah. Like what are you talking about? You told me they just said I just read an article that said the mask don't work, but this doctor just told me to wear the mask. Mm. Simple logic tells me that something's not right. Some mm-hmm. one of those things are not right. As opposed to a blue check. They're going to try to like literally justify or try to find a way that both of those things can work, and we can be mad at two things at once, or two things can be true at once. It's like, nah, mm-hmm. not when they contradict each other like that. Mm-hmm. And the hood, as crazy as it sounds, has more common sense than your average blavity with the uh, blue check in the college degree, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've been indoctrinated by this socialist and communist professors. So anything that's not free, anything that's not being given to you, anything that's not uh, reaffirming uh, your victimhood, anything that's not you know giving you your confirmation bias for all of the bullshit you've been taught in school, it's going to you know what I'm saying you're not going to jack it if it's mm-hmm. not that. So mm-hmm. with the hood, they like nah, son, give it to me raw and uncut. Mm-hmm. Let me know what's going on. How many people are like wait wait only this amount of people are dying? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> if it's ninety nine percent point whatever whatever recovery rate, why the hell would I be scared of it? Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like is that that you can just have that conversation with them and they'll just break down all of your propaganda right there in your face mm-hmm. because it's going to ask simple questions. How is that possible? Mm. That doesn't make any sense. They're going to tell you that to your face, and when it comes time to um really do the accounting on who shops black more. The people who never leave their hood <laughs> or the people who travel and buy European yeah. this and they love, they want to be like carried from sex in the city. So they wear Tiffany and all this other shit or the nigga who spends at least a thousand a month with the weed, man. The nigga who goes to the local uh, stores, who goes to the local Jamaican spot, who goes to the soul food spot that stays in their hood. They are practicing more group economics than the people with college degrees. And, and and the money to actually you know invest or you know patronize these black owned businesses with discernment. Mm-hmm. So naturally, I believe if we just replace all of these externally owned businesses with black owned businesses, the hood is going to be the people that are going to come in droves to make sure. You know how I know yeah. because they come in droves in the Asian owned business. Mm-hmm. I seen line after the you know the shutdown, black women. Three, four dozen black women standing in line waiting to uh, walk inside of an Asian-owned beauty supply store. You know mm-hmm. what made me happy though? One of uh, another hood, I think, it was in Oakland. It was a black-owned beauty supply store, and I saw the same line. And I'm like, see, they keep the same energy. Mm-hmm. And here is going going back to the financial institutions. This is I'm gonna tie it all in. That is why communities thrive. Everybody mm. thinks that every, you know, Asian is good with money and they just be great with group economics. No, no. There's thrift Asians. There's financially illiterate Asians. It's just that they have financial institutions that fortifies their money no matter what. Mm. So, for instance, you don't have to be 
financially literate when you have an investment bank, an actual bank, a CDFI, a community development financial institution. You have insurance companies. You have um, brokerage uh, uh, savings and loans. You have all of these different financial instruments and financial institutions that the average Joe with a regular paycheck can just put his money inside of it. What does the bank do with your money? They reinvest that money into different projects going on around it. So even if you have no idea what group economics about, you're participating if you just put your money inside of a bank, a bank, a black bank. I've been banking with One United since 2015. Again, since I found out about the solutions, I, that was the first thing I did. Word is black banks. I didn't know that. I didn't know black banks existed before 2015. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Word mm-hmm. they exist. Boom. Say no more. One United, you feel me? So more money that we one United is the biggest black bank we got. And I think they got like close to a billion in their in their coffers. So nowhere near enough. We're talking about trillions and hundreds of billions in Bank of America and all these other banks. So when we're talking about development, we were able like we think about just life insurance itself. We got black owned because that, that was one of the major industries in Black America. That actually the North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance Company. It's still one of the oldest um, black-owned insurance companies in the world. Mm. I mean, in, in, the, in America, excuse me. Mm. And um, the reason why that's important is because life insurance is one of those things where it's really reserved for gener- the generation after you, right? You die, and then that happens. You know, those those benefits go to the beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. If we have more and more black people just opening up accounts with these black-owned insurance companies, your generational wealth is already set in stone at that point. Mm-hmm. You pay for your policy every month like you're supposed to, like you've been doing with other insurance companies, but the money that you're paying into, that that the, uh, that those, those policies, those plans, that, that business, mm-hmm. that money is going to be reinvested again. All mm-hmm. of these financial institutions, the way they make money is through interest and being able to reinvest the money that they get from you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. think about it. When you look, when you talk to these real estate agents, or excuse me, the, the real estate Twitter, they'll tell you the hood is a gold mine. That's the reason why justification oh, yeah. is a thing. So right. imagine we open up a bank in the Black American community. Let's just say it's Philly, right? We open up um, a Black American bank in Philly. It's prime real estate all over here. You feel me? Temple's here. You got uh, Drexel. You got you know Penn State. All of this stuff. We start buying up all of these properties these abandoned these abandoned buildings these abandoned row homes and all of that stuff we buy them down just the whole block start buying them up through an institution a black owned institution so all of the, the you know whatever you know uh pull uh strings we can pull whatever things that we can do to make sure that we can you know keep this stuff in or try to get some grants going or whatever we can finagle to you know legally we are now able to own all of these properties now. So now the insurance companies, the black banks, the black insurance companies, the black finance institutions owns the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now they're able to control the rent price. Mm-hmm. They're not, they, they can, you know, they can see what the demographic of the community is mm-hmm. and they can raise their rent as they raise the net worth of the people in the neighborhood as opposed to just kicking the poor people out and then moving the rich ones in. No, mm-hmm. we're not going to move Granny out. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to put her money inside of Black American financial institutions, make sure her wealth is growing on her behalf. You don't got to know about the gains and losses, the profits and losses. You don't need to know about derivatives or anything like that. She just needs to know that her money is secured, safe, and it's insured up to a certain amount or whatever. That's all she needs to know. 
and then we're going to teach her son, her grandson, and everybody else how to uh, manage the wealth. You know, we're going to teach them those things. And then after she passes on, the house is left to them, the wealth is left to them, and now they're financially literate. And then, of course, they're going to, you know, next generation, they're going to be old. And it's going to be the same cycle all over again. The money never left. I am telling you now, Black America has the ability to be recession-proof. We have the ability to be recession-proof no matter what. It, the, the market cycles, we already know about them. We already know about the market phases. Black America, economically, socioeconomically, have the, has the ability to be recession-proof. With the way we consume in America, if we just literally diverted all of that consumption into Black American institutions and businesses, that money will allow us to live and thrive forever. Mm, mm, honestly mm. and wholly if we transferred our money from uh externally owned institutions to black owned institutions if we started investing in black REITs you know which is real estate investment truck if we started investing in more in just black real estate project period if we started investing more in black financial institutions that is the hub that we need because those black institutions can now build grocery stores they can build plazas they can build hospitals they can build you know whatever we need in the community to make sure that whatever we need we already have mm. so if we need to have one of the state-of-the-art factories to 3d print something or whatever we can literally build all of those things and never have to step outside of our community and not mm. only that because of how dope we are and because again we're the barometer of what's cool what's popping now you gotta come because mm. now we know better we don't want your milkshake no more you want our milkshake. So now we're going to charge you the premium that you've been charging us. Mm. You want to buy our culture. We no longer going to buy our culture from Disney. We only going to buy it from Tyler Perry Studio. Mm -hmm. That's what it's supposed to be about. So when you want to get a Beyonce feature, when you want a Beyonce visual album, you got to go through XYZ Black American financial, um, uh, you know, excuse me, uh, film studio. Mm -hmm. That's how we do that. You mm. want to get, you know, anything, food, Entertainment. I don't care if you want to get your sports from us because mm -hmm. I love seeing Negroes run up and down fields, courts, and and all of that. You got to pay us more, mm -hmm. and I mean networks. I mean network money. Mm -hmm. them, them checks that you cutting these athletes or whatever that look like a lot to the average person, but I know what y'all making on the back end as an institution. As an institution, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I need that team. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, I did like what Ice Cube was doing with mm -hmm. his league or whatever. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. We need more of that. We need more ownership. We need I'm, more ownership. And that's what I'm always going to be advocating for. Because once a, we own it, I'm telling you, everybody's going to have to shop with us. Nobody want to shop with none of that standard stuff. Nobody want to shop. Nobody is fly as us, man. We don't. <laughs> nobody cooks as good as us. Nobody does what we do. That's why people buy it. That's why you can't sell snacks without saying some type of uh, black flame. You yeah. can't sell nothing in this country without trying to sound like me. Yeah, yeah. So imagine I, if everything that you was buying for real was coming, like being, you know, all that money was coming to us. It's possible. Yeah, we be recession proof. Yeah. Everybody talking about. Somebody told me today that uh, because of what I said, me and Tori said about Asians, that that's why you don't get no help from Asians. Like, yo, son, do you understand that all of these businesses is because of one hundred percent, if not ninety nine percent, Black American consumers? These Chinese yeah. food spots in the hood. Yeah. Who do you think is buying this food? Yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah. like at the end of the day, it's not about us, uh, you helping us. We are keeping y'all afloat. All of that group, that's the whole, that's the irony in all of this. Outside of the government funding most of uh, Asian group economics, the other half 
or the other thumb of the support comes from black Americans. So who's helping who for real? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you this right here. You can call it racist or whatever. I haven't eaten Chinese food since the shutdown. I don't think I'll ever eat Chinese food ever again, bro. <laughs> yeah, I stopped eating Chinese bro, food a long time ago. I'm yeah. a, um, I'm a, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get into these super chats. Then we're gonna start wrapping this up. I just want to clarify my point about the hood being on the internet. Watch this. Yo, son, we've been on here for three hours. I ain't even peek. Yeah, yeah. You ready? Say it again. Right now, right now, we on the internet. The hood don't be on the internet they be on zuckerberg land right the, the the hood is on the gram and on facebook so if it's not on the gram right. or the facebook they don't see it facebook is not the internet it's on the internet there the mm. internet is this the internet is this vast space and the only place that black people occupy on the internet is the fucking social networks and the only real internet properties we own are fucking gossip and entertainment websites so we're not on the internet we access the internet but we ain't on the internet only thing that black people see on the internet is what facebook's algorithm says they can see and half of that shit is shade room and entertainment bullshit that's not the internet that's not what the internet was intended for the internet was intended for fucking information and yo ass fucking learning some something you know what I'm saying? So that's what I say on the yeah. internet. Like we yeah. we we fully maximize the internet. Niggas ain't really maximize the internet. So let me free these super chats. Uh Hotep with it, 499 super chat. He said, Hotep and Bill catch the replay. Uh be blessed, big brothers. And of course, stay with it. Shout out to Hotep with it. Always support and appreciate you, my brother. Stay um, with it. Uh Pilly. Um uh five dollar super chat. Thank you, sir. John J, $10 super chat. He said, I don't mean no disrespect when I come up with my questions. I don't believe there were black Native Americans writing Egyptian hieroglyphics. I'll ask one more time if y'all got any sources <laughs> or videos. So, so, so let me just diagnose. Let me just diagnose what John J's problem is. And, and I call this, uh, I call this white insecurity, right? They, they, they are so insecure that th they could never believe that you have any agency or power or you've done or have contributed to society in any way. Because if that's true, then that, that makes them less powerful. And that's his white insecurity speaking. John Jay, you're going to heal one day. You're going to heal. I don't know how. I don't know how. I think you might need to do some studying. I think you might need to do some soul in um, uh, uh, reflection. But... Um, I'm not going to help you heal. I'm not going to, I'm going to continue. Say, Cause I, I if, if, if you're not going to take my word for it, if you're not going to look up those acts, if you're not going to, you know, do some more Googles based upon that, or at least try to, you know, not even take my word for it. But if you, you know, use the launch, if you use the information as we, that we put as a launch pad, you can actually delve deeper into it. That's and the problem. I don't That's wanna... the problem. That's the problem with information. See, see, like you said, when we ran into Sarnetta, right? And Sarnetta gave us information through all of the speakers he had on his channel. We don't go, okay, I believe you or I don't believe you. We take that as, as a launch pad to go look up some more information. The white right. insecurity wants to doubt before inspection. 
before self-inspection, before doing his own self-research. What somebody would say is, oh, this is some information I haven't heard before. I'm going to go do my own research. I'll come back with some questions later. That's what an honest person would say. But somebody with white insecurity is going to say, this can't be real. Show me your proof. No, nigga, you go find a proof. I'm not here to educate you. I already tried to that's educate my whole you. Thing. <laughs> and, that, and that's my issue because it goes right back into the First of all, we already know as far as the hierarchy of the audience. Like, let's just keep it all the way fucking front. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't hate white people or whatever, but like my message, like I've co-founded Cotep Nation to make sure black Americans was okay. Like, you know what I'm saying? I all, you know, all of our white brothers and our white peoples, because I do consider them brothers in, in, a, in a lot of sense. Like my boy Chad, like that that's fans. You feel me? Like he, he already invited me out to the crib and all that. So the camaraderie is 100% there, but they... It just so happens that all of them all respect and understand who my primary focus is. Yeah. And I believe that should be everybody's race. You know, everybody, every race should be thinking like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, that's a whole different conversation. I got uh, the Forbidden History email that's coming this weekend. It's, it, I promise John Jay, he's going to love that one because we're talking about WG on that one. So when, um, when uh, what were we talking about? What was the last thing we were talking Oh, yeah. So, when it comes to the white insecurity part, I understand that it, it really is rooted in the same miseducation that black people got. Because you understand, like, those history lessons, white people was lied to about their history, too. You feel I me? Mean? When you got when you lie about what Africans, natives, and aboriginals did, you also have to lie about what white people did. Yes. Like, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, so... White people are just mis just as miseducated, if not more, than black people when it comes to our socioeconomic history, our uh, legislative history, and all of that other stuff. Because they had to tell you that natives weren't black. Also, yeah, yeah. they had exactly. to tell you that they all looked like you know the guy who drops the one tear on the the, the littering commercial. Yeah. You had to also believe that because if you learned it, and that's another thing that they try to make it seem like even some of the conscious community, like yeah. The white people know they all all the white people know, but you don't know. I promise you, I got too many white people that if they learn this shit, they would be they. I would be the first person they call. <laughs> they be like, yo, don't I just learn what? You know what I'm saying. So I know white people wouldn't be able to keep that shit to themselves. Now mm -hmm. I do know that there is an elite small group of white people who understand because all you got to do is watch Beyonce's uh, "Black as King," and I 100% attribute a lot of the imagery most of the symbolism to Beyonce and her creative team. However, you got Dogon in there, you got different Yoruba, you got a lot of Hotep in there. You feel me? Okay, and okay. you're not going to allow that as a Disney corporation if you didn't know what it was. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like That is real. They understand that. And I know the, the real small elite, they understand it because you got to remember, those small elites they turn our ancient African spirituality into occult shit. They turn it into, you know, a pretty much black magic or dark magic. So the same astrology that they follow, the same, you know, all of those same signs, that's all ancient African spirituality. And they just use it to their own advantage. So understand that there is a small group of white people or Europeans or whatever you want to call them, pale face or whatever, they do have that information. That's why, like, the Freemasonry, you definitely got to delve into that show. Like, all of that is African spirituality just being remixed and stepped on. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So when when you come in with the, when you come in with that, you, I I don't feel sorry because I don't feel sorry for most people, but I understand that you're just, if not more ignorant than the people that are that are more susceptible to even what I'm saying. There's people who agree with me who still is like mind blown. You feel me? So I know if somebody who doesn't believe me or is coming from a skeptic's perspective, I know it's like, you know, pushing a, a boulder uphill when it comes to John Jay or whatever. And I, I let's just say, you know, I believe you when it comes to, I'm not trying to be disrespectful and all of that. If that was the case, G, I don't believe you, but if that's the case, then do your Googles. I, you know what I'm saying? I'm on the fly right now. I don't have all of the sources in my back pocket. I don't have, I'm using my phone. So given the circumstances, if I was, you know, sitting down with you and I actually had another piece of uh, device or information that I could actually pull up different things, but I'm flying off the top of my head. I gave you names of apps that told you that this was native land. You feel what I'm saying? And if we just going off of just basic lineage, if we're talking about the natives or the aborigines of uh, North America, you cannot possibly believe that they all have one phenotype because we don't even say that. We, we, we say that, yes, the mongoloid phenotype was here, the uh, certain like we leaf Erickson, one of the first Europeans to bring to, to come to North America. I'm pretty sure that if he settled here, I'm pretty sure he had certain descendants here too. Columbus and them them raped in everywhere they ever been. So I'm pretty sure there's some European roots here as well. However, we can't just negate one to shine light on the other. We don't say that no Africans came. Yes, some Africans came. However, uh, most of them were native so we're saying yes they've got the mongoloid which is pretty much asian i don't want to sound racist when i say that like the mongoloid phenotype is what i mean you got that you got the european you got the negro you got everybody coming you know coming here but you got to understand that this lineage is it, it, yes this is real people there, there is no all right so one of the things that i did learn through my man like i said look him up dan calloway john jay for real he, he explains this shit pre-recorded on youtube way better than i can I'm actually like I'm under his tutelage right now. I'm actually I'm going to contact him, um, you know, directly um, to make sure that I can actually have him on, you know, my show and stuff like that when I interview him because he has a world of knowledge. However, in the video, he uh, actually spoke about SlaveVoyages.org. You ever heard of that? Who? SlaveVoyages.org. Nope. Okay, look it up. It's very interesting. I'm glad we get to do this in real time because it blew my mind when it's happened. And I don't get my mind blown at all. It's not there. Oh, wait. I spelled it wrong. <laughs> I put slaves. You spread uh, misinformation. It exists. Uh, explore the dispersal of enslaved Africans across the Atlantic world. Okay, I'm here. Yeah, Well, just start searching. Maybe it's not slave voyages. Maybe it's, I don't know. It's just slave voyages. I, it's, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the website right now. I'm on the website right now. Oh, right, cool, cool. All right, so... On the history of the project tab. History of the project. I see transatlantic. I see intra-American. You said look for what? Look for the history of the project. Should be like about us, you know, that okay. section of the uh tab. All right. I'm going to the about page now. About the project, yeah. Transatlantic combination of several decades of independent and collaborative. Uh, research by scholars drawing upon uh, data in libraries and archives uh, around the Atlantic world. The New Voyages website itself uh, is the, uh, you said history of the project? You said history, you found it? 
history of the project? Yeah. Yeah. So, so on one in uh, the top paragraph. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm following along with you. Okay. Uh, they they speak on how they pretty much got the information for the slave wages, right? Mm-hmm. And in on the uh on the page it says I want to. The only reason why I am following along on mine is because I want to make sure that I'm reading it correctly. Okay. All right. So you see where it says in the 1970s and 1980s. Yeah, in the 1970s, 1980s, scholars created a number of slave ship data data sets, several of which the current authors chose to recode from the primary sources rather than integrate the data sets of those scholars in the present set. By the late 1980s, there were records of approximately 11,000 individual transatlantic voyages and 16 separate data sets, not all of which were transatlantic nor, as it turned out, slave voyages. Uh Uh-oh. And of course, some sets overlapped others. Several listings of voyages extracted from more than one source. Yeah, you you can't hear me. Turn the turn the computer off. I found the um I found the uh I'm I'm reading the thing right now. And of course, some sets overlapped others. Several listings of voyages extracted from more than one source had appeared in hard copy form. Notably, three volumes of voyages from French ports published by Jean Metas and Sergei and Michelle Daguet, or Daget, however you pronounce that, and two volumes of Bristol Voyages expanded to four by 1996, authored by David Richardson. Oh, yes. Uh, the basis for each data set was usually the records of a specific European nation or the particular port where slaving voyages originated with the information available reflected in the nature of the records that had survived rather than the structure of the voyage itself. Mm-hmm. Very interesting information here. Can you hear me, though? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Turn the uh cut the yeah there you go. You hear me better now? I got a uh I got a a, a super chat. I'm gonna um from uh John Jay I read here. First I just gotta say John Jay, thank you for sending this money. That's the first thing. You're building Hotep Nation one super chat at the time, so I gotta thank you for that. Um, so John Jay says, uh, when I come to people with the truth about World War II history. I have my sources ready and my facts straight because I know people are going to push back against me. Y'all don't come correct. Well, here's my response to that. On the part where you say people are going to push back against you, right? That is an intersection, right? And at that intersection of pushback, you can either entertain or decide to ignore. We are choosing to ignore you, John Jay. We don't care. See, see, in order for us to want to educate you, we'd have to care to educate you. We don't care what you think. These are our studies. We are presenting our facts. If you don't like what you're hearing, that is completely fine. If you don't think we're valid, that is completely fine. We don't need your approval to be valid. There are many people that listen to us and they love the content. They love what we have. If you don't like it, you don't got to be here. But the last thing Hoteps do is try to explain or argue our history. We don't argue our history with white folks. Hoteps do not argue our history with white folks. You will never catch me. I repeat, 
you will never catch me in a debate with a white person debating black history. I'll never do it. I will never debate one of you people over my history. My history is for me. Your history is for you. Now, what I do is I study white history because I'm going to argue with you over your history and your dark history and the great stink. <laughs> That's what I will do. But I'm not I'm not I'm not here. I'm not here to turn non-believers into believers. That's just not what I'm here to do. I'm here to present information and what you take from it, you take from it. If you don't like it, that's fine. You can go someplace else and get the information. If you don't think it's valid, that's completely fine too. But you have to understand, we don't care. We don't care. Uh, John Jay said, by the way, y'all, I'm actually black. I just be trolling. I don't believe you. Uh, Hotep with it. Say, John Jay about to cry because y'all too real for him. <laughs> real talk. Real talk. Doe, um, thank you very much for this conversation. Oh, man. I am we so upset. I, I literally didn't hear the the read or nothing. You read the whole paragraph, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, you heard in the, you read in the article where they said that the, some of the voice that the voyages may not even be transatlantic or a slave voice at all. Yes. Yes. It's so, common sense though. It's common sense. Like we like this is what I'm saying like about blacks and natives in America. Like I don't need no book to understand some shit. Right? I, I can just look at where we are today. If I go to the Caribbean, I'ma see a whole lot of niggas. If I go to South America, I'ma see a whole lot of black niggas. Now they didn't just appear there they've been there now currently i believe 40 percent of the people in ice facilities are from haiti so if motherfuckers 44 percent. thank you 44 percent of motherfuckers in ice facilities are from haiti how did people who have nothing who are poor and trying to escape oppression in haiti how did they get to america if them motherfuckers get to america today Obviously, years ago, without oppression, people got to the Americas before. If there's black motherfuckers in South America and they're held at the ICE facility and they found their way to Americas, obviously people before Columbus made their way to the Americas. And in Cristobal Colon's own records, he said, everywhere we went, we saw Negroes. This is his own record. This is yeah. his own record. He said there wasn't a place he visited where he did not see black people. So I don't need to, to read no books or, or, or provide sources. I have common sense. And that's what a lot of people lack to these. And the thing is, a lot of people rely on books instead of their own common sense. And the first thing I do right. is I go based upon common sense. And then I go to the books to give me evidence. But I rely on my common sense first before I do any of this shit. Oh, so here's here's my thing. So two things, because I just I forgot when you asked me the question earlier about um, some things that's like forbidden. Uh, I'm gonna say some shit. It's gonna be controversial, but we can stay in a second. Uh, I don't know if you uh, saw on the Slave Voyage uh, site that is a uh, user uh, contributed, meaning that it's like open source. It's like Wikipedia. I submitted uh, a slave ship, a slave voyage myself. I submitted the 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 vessel tower and i uh, told the story of a slave named uh boo boo who uh actually had a fight with a rival uh slave uh and of the supreme team which is the, the funny little thing about 50 cent which, which is his uh nickname in the 
And Tatala, of course, is the fucking black people. And like I was able to submit a slave boy. Now, whether they, I think, I doubt they approved it. But the fact that I was able to do it, and the fact that it's approved and disapproved at the discretion of the owners of the website, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they, if they say that was a real voice, then it's, it's, it's canon at that point. Mm. So we've, we've gone over that part. Now, one of the things that I did learn, and this is going to be a homework for everybody else to prove me wrong, Harriet Tubman is not a real person. You said what? So... Harriet Tubman is not a real person. Uh oh! <laughs> I love shit like this. Let's go. All right. So the story of Harriet Tubman comes from uh by, from a woman named uh, Sarah uh, Sarah H. Bradford. It's called "The Scenes of the Life of Harriet Tubman." It was a, a storybook, and it was uh, detailing the uh, the life about this uh, black woman. Uh, former slave, and, you know, doing all of these things. And it was published by uh, a William Moses. Mm. Uh, William Moses and Esquire. So I think it was like a lawyer, right? So the entire uh, story of Harriet Tubman comes from uh, needing or wanting, rather, pension money. Because at this time, wives or widows of Union soldiers or soldiers in the Civil War got pensions every month, you know, because they needed to live. So she was married to um, a Daniel or Nathan. I keep, I'm bad with names. I think it's a Daniel. And, you know, her last name changed and things of that nature. And every month after her husband died, they filled out these applications, these general affidavits, they call it. And to, you know, get the monthly pensions. And every so often, they would act for an increase on the pension. And they created this fictional character. Now, the women in those photos are real, of course. You know what I'm saying? It's nothing to find a random black person, you know, in the photo. And that's going to, that's what a lot of people are going to, I know people are literally pissed off right now. Because they've seen that picture of Harriet Tubman, they associated that with Harriet Tubman and all of that stuff, but I'm here to tell you that this woman is a fictional character created to get pension money from the government, um, you know, every month because she was a uh, uh, supposedly a widow. Oh. And this is more lessons that I learned from my brother, Dan Calloway. And he has all of the sources. It's all there. So don't strip. Look it up. Yes, I said something inflammatory and I'm leaving you right there. Harry Tubman didn't exist. Look up the general affidavits. Now, the reason why this is funny, because... They said she was uh, purported to be illiterate, couldn't read or write. However, um, her signature is on all of the affidavits. And one of the things that they have is uh, back in the day, or even certain times today, people would sign their name. If they couldn't read or write, they would sign their name with an X. Right. And the power of attorney or the person who was you know, fully in, in their right mind or could read or write would actually sign on their behalf or whatever. So... If you look at uh, the affidavit for Harriet's, um, at, excuse me, if you look at, you know, affidavits for Harriet's pensions, you see that it's the same handwriting on every last one of them. So that means it had to have been the same person writing it, but there is a little black X in between the witness, Harriet's name, and the, the person who is like the attorney or whatever. So the same person is filling this shit out every month, but Harriet doesn't read or write. So it 
you can see that it was actually filled out on her behalf or on her behalf based upon her power of attorney and things of that nature. And it was William Moses and Sarah uh, B, excuse me, Sarah H. Bradford, who mm. created the story of Harriet Tubman. Mm. That is forbidden history for your ass. Mm. Look it up. Oh, that's a great note to Prove close. Prove me wrong. I dare you. That's a, that's a that's an excellent note to Prove close. me wrong. Niggas is gonna have a heart attack with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that's real forbidden history. That's not just oh unknown history, uh, you know, uncommon history. Nah, nigga, that was literally t- like held from you, nigga. You know what's funny yeah. about that is Ross was talking about common sense. My common sense told me don't fuck with Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass. My common sense said, yo, these people can't be, these people can't be <laughs> for us. They're way too famous to be good for us. So, you know, yep. like, like, like I said, you know, I could just start looking up, I can, like my intuition to tell me, yo, this shit ain't good for us. And I could start, like you said, Dan Calloway, we go down a rabbit hole. So sometimes what happens is my intuition tell me something, my common sense, and I'd be like, I'm not even going to look this shit up because I trust myself more than these other motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm glad you So um, one of the things they are, uh, that's the reason why, because think about it. Why is she, a, why is she famous? Right. You know what I'm saying? Of course, like for freeing the slaves, right? However, you could, there's a bunch of people that free slaves. Let's not get a, there's a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of slave rebellions all throughout history. Yeah. But my Harriet didn't have any. Harriet didn't have. Um, Harriet didn't have any children. So all of this fame that she, her name got, who is that money going to? Mm. You feel probably, me? Probably. Her estate is still being held. Somebody still holds her estate. They just dropped the Harriet movie last year. Mm. Mm. Somebody in the Tubman line is getting that money. It has to be. Shout out to my youngin. He told me that my youngin Mike, he's African Mike. He told me to shout him out. Shout out to you, youngin. I'm gonna hit you up later. But he, um, he, uh, now that family, just like the family who owns Chanel, yeah, they get all of those royalty, right. all of those Harriet Tubman books, Harriet Tubman movies, Harriet Tubman action figures, Harriet Tubman, everything that's supposed to be going to this quote unquote Harriet Tubman estate goes to them. So they create. They honestly, if you ask me, they created an asset or they created a financial inst- uh, instrument to build wealth with. They created a whole identity. It's like identity fraud. You feel me? Like they created an entire identity. Found a few pictures of this woman. You feel me? Uh, not found them. Took maybe even took pictures. Took pictures of this woman. Said that this was Harriet Tubman, and then they used that woman's likeness and identity to get monthly pensions from the government. Look it up. Prove uh, me wrong. Ah. Uh. Show me where she's show me her show me any of her record. Show me her record. You feel me? Because I know they got what's the art of uh Artemina uh what's the name? Ross. I can't I can't think of the first name. I'm blank. I can I can see the word, but I can't pronounce it right now. I've been butchering too many words today. So uh but yeah, there is no record of of her other than the fabricated records that you know. From that story, and it's called "The Scenes of the Life of Harriet Tubman" by mm. Sarah Bradford, mm. printed by William Moses Esquire. Mm-hmm. Executive Director Karen V. Hill. Huh? I'm over here going down the rabbit hole trying to track down who's running her estate, and it's one big rigmarole. 
Um, but y'all, we're gonna close out right there. We're gonna we're gonna close out right there. And um I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Wonderful, 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 uncomfortable conversation. I'll be back next week with a very special guest, Erica Lachey. And that conversation is going to be another amazing. She's going to blow you guys away. Um, So tune in. Peace and love. I'll catch y'all next time. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button before you leave.